I think I went a, a moment a hair early, but I'll fix it. Nah. So it's fine. Yeah, yeah, that'll be fine. I'll just make a note here. Hair early. Well, I always go three hairs late, and that seems to line it up with everybody else. <laughs> yeah. Hair early is actually my Starbucks name. <laughs> <laughs> In the Garden View Studios in historic Albany, New York, I'm Bobby Pape, and this show has everything. This week, good bosses, bad bosses, everything in between, they're all us bosses. We're talking about when we've been large and in charge, and joining me for that conversation, a woman who is only metaphorically large and in charge, I'm going to clarify that after last week's conversation in the Stick of Butter Studios in New Brighton, Minnesota, it's Anne, don't at me, Lundholm. Good evening, Anne. Good evening, Bobby. If you say I'm a statuesque boss, I'm going to come over there and beat you. <laughs> that would be such an odd adjective to describe your boss. <laughs> uh, once again, refusing to wait her turn in the middle-aged momish studios, a woman who would not have a problem with a two-drink lunch. Even if she was your boss in Austin, Texas, it's Hillary the H bomb Livingston Butler. Good evening, Hillary. I love the, I love nothing more than a two uh, drink lunch. But then I'm like, I need to take a nap, night night, and then I go home. I can't do that. I love it, but I can't really do it. A newly returned to the workforce, but probably not having a two drink lunch for so many different reasons. <laughs> in the No Name Studios in Linwood, Washington, it's not the nice lady Christy Wise, but rather. We'll call him a nice guy, Jeremy Holmes. Good evening, Jeremy. Oh, wait till we get into some of these stories. You won't be calling me a nice guy anymore. <laughs> why, why is Christie's studio called the No Name Studios, by the way? Because she, she, she never no have a name. Yeah, she never thought of a name for it. Uh, you could call it the Hot and Stuffy Studios because there is not a lot of airflow here. You could call it the Neighborhood Creeper Studios because she has a big window that looks out over our entire neighborhood and regularly just stares out of the blinds. <laughs> observing. It's put Christy on a list somewhere. So, <laughs> All right. In the Hot and Stuffy Studios in Limwood, Washington, it's not the nice lady. It's Jeremy Holmes. Jeremy, who used Christie's column on the run sheet, even though he has his own column on the run sheet, I think. Oh. Oh, I just filled it's in. He yeah. does. Maybe well, I know. hit it by mistake. It's one I'm column bad. per household, so I guess it's that's fine. We're going to talk bossing, but first we're going to do a little small talk, the mailbag. Then we'll do bosses. Then we'll do T-She Recommends on how to get involved in the show. Hillary, it's Harry Weekend. It's Harry Weekend. Okay, as you're listening to this. <clears throat> oh, my God. Oh that goodness. has so many ways that it could go. <laughs> I know. Harry, H-A-R-R-Y. Oh, personal in. love, uh, personal <laughs> personal care weekend. For yes, exactly. Harry and the Hendersons. Oh, oh yeah. Go on, uh, get. <laughs> uh, no, Harry Styles, that gentleman from Great Britain, is in Austin. And I like have been watching people go to the shows because he's here for six nights. And I've been watching people go to the shows and post pictures and I get jealous and I'm like, wait, I'm going, I'm going on Sunday. So as you're listening to this, um, you're I'm, hungover. Well, no, I'm no, cause I'm driving. I'm not going to oh, probably sure, drink anything. Sure. I know. So Bridget can um, drive home. You're, <laughs> yeah, exactly. you're emotionally <laughs> hungover. <laughs> yes. And okay. So I'm really excited. I'm 
like mentally preparing what I'm going to wear. But so on Monday morning, we had Bridget's parent-teacher conference. And I would say if it was 15 minutes long, we spent conservatively mm, seven minutes talking about Harry Styles because she's going to the same, she's going to the concert the same night. And she reiterated to me, if I'm going to be here the next day, Bridget needs to be here the next day so she cannot skip school. Um, but she gave me great tips because I was, I hadn't, it's a new um, venue that he's performing in. I mean, it opened like six months ago. And so I'm like, I don't really know where to park. And she gave me all these tips of where to park. And then she told me, you know, that I could uh, go early to get merch so I don't have to stand in line and get merch at the show. And so we're going to go tomorrow to get the merch. I'm very excited. So I'm all prepared. Um, but I am just, I was like, okay, you know, it's, it's on Sunday. That kind of sucks because I have to go to work, but it has to go to school, but maybe I can roll in late or maybe I can work from home on Monday. No, we have like a huge event in the middle of the day on Monday that I have to like be there to prep for. I was like, I'm going to be, my almost 44 year old body is going to be decomposing on Monday morning. I'm going to be like, why did I do this? I mean, when I go to bed at 11 and have to wake up at six, I'm like, I, I, I act like it's. Like, I've been through war. I'm so tired. I'm such a baby. And this, I'm going to be going to bed at, like, midnight, waking up. But anyway, I'm excited. But that's my little caveat. But I am I'm very thrilled. I mean, we have shitty seats because I just could not pony up for, like, the really nice ones. But um, but it'll, I've heard it's a great show. And anyway, I'm excited. I, I have two questions for you, Hillary. Yes. It, okay, number one. I'll Harry ask them Styles. both, and then I'll take my question off the air or my answer <laughs> off the air. Uh, number one, are you are you going to wear Harry Styles merch to the concert? Number, no. Number two, is Harry Styles like is he like is he like a band? Like, is there like a is he like part of like <laughs> BTS or whatever? Like, oh, well, Harry he was Styles, the Harry Styles band, of course. It's like the Dave Matthews band. But it's just him. It's just like I'm um, yeah, Harry Styles. It's just him. So they just yes. really high in jam for two hours. Yeah. Oh my God! Please, like the Dave Matthews man. Please, God, nice. no, no, God, um, no. I mean, he was a member of One Direction, which is a boy band. Okay, but then he, you know, they they slowly broke up. Oh yeah, boy bands have a definite shelf life. Yeah, yeah, Got I it. think they all. And he just definitely was the, he's the, um, I guess Justin Timberlake is the, you know, he's the one that popped. I mean, that's that. not what Louis said. I know, I know. I don't think but, anybody cares you know, what Louis thinks. Oh, a lot of people cared what Louis thinks. <laughs> it is. I'm wild. proud that I, mean, I came up with the name Louis. Oh, wait. <laughs> I know. Louis. I, am, I thought you were talking about Louis C.K. for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> it's a so very an, different conversation. He's another One Direction or Louis Tomlinson, I think. Uh-uh. Um, is BTS is boy band though? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I was yeah. in the right genre. Korean, Korean K-pop band. Yeah. You got there. Um, no, I, uh, I, it'll, whatever, it'll be interesting. I'm, I, 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 like I've said before, I was not into One Direction. Like there was maybe one song that I liked, but it was very bubblegum poppy in the beginning at least. And I was like, this is just not for me, but I like Harry Styles. <laughs> you Steph don't and... know you're beautiful. That's <laughs> <laughs> so gross. That was not the one song. Oh, that's like the most like. That's boy yeah, band That's song. the most aven- <laughs> offensive subgenre boy band songs. <laughs> You're attractive, but you don't know it. Well, that's the best kind of uh, woman because they're both hot and humble. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's a... (laughs) 
<laughs> Magic combination. Also, I just found yeah. Harry Styles mobile grooming. And so oh. just make sure your tickets aren't for that. Like if you got okay. scammed. <laughs> no, well, I brought it with my American Express card that I never used because it was the one time that I was like, this gives me benefits. Um, but I will, uh, you know that I will update everybody next week. So don't worry. Bobby. To be continued. Wait, Bobby, why is the Harry Styles mobile grooming dog dabbing? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't make that. I found it. Huh. To appeal to the youths. Good point. Uh, yeah. Good point. Yeah. yeah. Same and reason that's I what... do. Try, try and impress all of Elliot's friends. <laughs> the dog is clearly on fleek. I can still say that. Um, oh, totally. Thanks. So. I'm not <laughs> or, sure. Or, or is it cringe? Oh, it's definitely oh. cringe. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. That one I know the kids this are saying still. This whole situation is getting cringe. Slay. <laughs> oh. It's not so cringe. It's season. That's what I heard, right? It's, it's, it's not <laughs> cringe if we're doing it ironically, Jeremy. Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it is galaxy, is it, Bobby? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> did you, wait, did you just change that to <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. It's just for you. Uh, for those of you who could see the run sheets, so just the people hosting here. Scala yeah. SZN. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, it's galaxy. We're late starting to record tonight and just pull back the curtain. It's Friday night uh, and it's and been Bobby just a crazy shit days. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, last night was the... Uh, Albany Capital Region Chamber of Commerce dinner, which sounds really boring, uh, but it is actually sure does. A, <laughs> it is a black tie gala for eleven hundred people. Oh my god! Did you glad hand every single one of them? Yeah, I should have COVID by the time you hear this. Um, I I pretty much did. Yeah, in fact, I was up smoozing so long I completely missed my dinner. By the time I got oh, back no. to my table, they were just plating the desserts or putting That's down the desserts. That's why you're so cranky. And I, and I was like, "Give me a dessert!" Yeah, I missed my, <laughs> I missed my steak and shrimp, which was cooked to perfection for 1,100 people all at once. I'm sure. <laughs> so, it is the it is the Albany Who's Who event of the year. Uh, it is very much um, Albany Prom, which is what a lot of people call it. And uh, yeah, it's back. And uh, COVID never existed. I think I saw three people in masks. Um, and uh, yeah, shoulder to shoulder, assholes to elbows in the reception. Mm. And yeah, and a lot of glad handing. And it was great. Mm. I had a lot of fun. It was nice to get my tux back out of the back of the closet. I went to this event last year and it was only about 700 people. Mm. And there was like mm. a very strict vax check protocol. And everyone was sort of... Like, should we, do we, should I take my mask off? What do I, and this year it was just like, nah, floodgates back. We're done. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there you go. (laughs) Uh, And then yes, tonight there was a a pop-up beer garden event at a college nearby and lots of donors there and me working. And I stopped in on my way back from a day long fundraising conference in Saratoga Springs. And before I knew it, we were supposed to be recording and I was running to my car. So sorry that I was late. You really weren't late. You really weren't. It's okay. Well, whatever. But uh, uh, event season is upon us, and uh, my life is going to get marginally more complicated by that. And opening night for the Albany Symphony is, as you're hearing this, Saturday night. So anybody with an earshot, call me for tickets. If you want free tickets, I will give you a free ticket. Ooh. Ooh. It's a good concert. It's Tchaikovsky's Fifth and uh, the Grieg Piano Concerto and uh, a piece... uh, 
a piece by a, a contemporary composer named Joel Thompson. Like, it's a good program. It's oh, actually going to be a lot of fun. You sneak those new ones in there. Yeah, usually we're a little more blunt about it, actually, but this one uh, happens to be just in the opening slot there. Uh, but it's called an act of resistance, so it's a good way to open a season. Mm-hmm. So there you go. I like it. Yeah. Um, Jeremy, tell me about this billion miles that you drove. <laughs> oh, yeah. I got a, um, I started working. I have been privileged enough to take, to take some time off uh, for the last year, and I finally got a job. And uh, the day Ugh. that I got the job offer last week and that I signed it and sent it back I was like I need to leave for one last hurrah and I literally that night got in my car and left and um went and drove a big loop all around kind of the southern U.S. down into Utah and up through Colorado and Montana and up into Idaho and um it was great drove like 3,500 miles didn't didn't pay a dime for (laughs) hotels or anything else or a bathroom or <laughs> did not pay for a bathroom, but I did use some bathrooms and I, you know, I feel like I talk about this every time I get on. So I'm not going to say too much more other than I will say that, uh, talking about all the traveling and everything, I get, got close to driving through Yellowstone. I kind of drove around the outside of Yellowstone, but, um, and I wasn't even going to go in. I was just trying to get it was in between where I was and where I was trying to get to. And it, that was the worst traffic that I ran into the whole time. And there was just miles and miles of cars backed up waiting to get into Yellowstone. And Ooh. I mean, Yellowstone is cool, but the Grand Canyon is, is just like that too. Like a lot of these kind of big national parks. And what I will say is that whole, the, the whole trip, I saw plenty of hydro thermal, whatever, things i saw uh you know i saw geysers i saw beautiful uh mountains and geological features or whatever uh so you know don't feel like you have to go out and go sit in line for two hours to get into a you know pay 50 bucks to get into a national park when there's tons of like the outside is free in so many places and there's so many beautiful places you can go for free um so check that out. And the last thing I will say is I'm actually, for a friend of a friend, driving a trailer, uh, towing a trailer from out here on the peninsula to Greenville, Tennessee <laughs> later Whoa. this month, which is like Holy the, shit. the far right tip of Tennessee. Yeah. Far right. So yeah. If, there's, if there's anybody that wants to meet up or anything along the way, uh, I think I'm going to be leaving Seattle on the 25th and driving that whole week. So hit me up. and. Uh, for- Forgive me for for this, but aren't you now employed? I am, yeah, yeah. And, and you're driving to Greenville, Tennessee. I am, yeah, yeah. I had this. So you can work remotely, right? I can, but I'm not going to. Um, I, <laughs> I had this. I had this in the works for a while. So when they made me an offer, I told them I can start. I can start in a week, but I need this time off. And they were cool. With sure. That. Dang. That is a drive and a half. That is yeah. really far. So you're driving yeah. it to Greenville, Tennessee from where? From uh, Squim, Washington, out on the peninsula out here. Dang, dude. <laughs> well, it's pretty up there, up in like that area of Greenville, all that. It, it's nice. Yeah. So, you know. I'm excited. But it's that's far. So I'm trying to figure out if I'm going to do like the northern route or... Actually, one of my new employees lives in Plano, Texas. Oh. So I was thinking about... Plano is nothing. I mean, it's like 
um, like a suburb. I mean, it's a suburb, but it's close to Dallas. I don't yeah, know. I'm, come I, up and I, see. Do you want to choose I, I, to drive a trailer through the Rockies? Uh, yeah. I don't know. I mean, yeah. it's a nice trailer <laughs> and a nice car. It's it's actually all brand new stuff. The nice car brakes. has like three thousand miles on it. The so it I went and hooked it all up a couple weekends ago, and the it actually does have really nice brakes. It has a brake control for the trailer that has a remote in the car that you can control, and so you can increase the amount of braking force on the trailer. I mean, it's automatically hooked up, and so if you press the car's brakes, the trailer brakes. But there's also a control where you can have it brake even more for you, hmm. which is cool. So. Well, good luck to you. Be safe. It'll be an adventure. I, I, so I'm, yeah. I'm, I don't want to brag, but I'm looking at a map of the United States. I knew you would be. <laughs> and I'm looking at where Squim is. Um, beautiful. I've been to Squim. And I'm looking at Greenfield, Tennessee. I've not been there, but I'm sure it's gorgeous. Um, it's in pl- the Smoky Mountains. Plano. Not yeah. on either route. <laughs> no, not really. No, yeah, sure it is. <laughs> I, so the main if you the route is what Google you make Maps, of it. If you plug it into Google Google Maps, it says like thirty six hours or something like that. If you put Pla- if you put Plano in there as a stop, it goes up like six or seven hours. Yeah, it really wouldn't be bad. And from that's, I know that's true. It goes up six hours. You called it. <laughs> Yeah, it's a little divergent. And if you go, I mean, I know when I did Dallas to Memphis when I was in college, it's like, well, if you're speeding, it's six hours. <clears throat> if you're going on normal, it's seven. So add three, so three yeah, to so, one. No, I'm three to Nashville for Memphis and then probably two to Greenville. So like, yeah, like 11 hours from Dallas. But also, I'm I might be delivering a like three foot Lego duck to Twin Cities. So if that happens, then I, I will not go through. I will not go through Plano. Is this? Are are you just on one of those TV shows now where they barter or or, or bid on these trucking jobs? Is this what you're doing on the side? I think that I have talked about this type of stuff enough that like I've made it into people's heads. So when they need weird stuff done, they know to just. Well, I'll, I'll see if Jeremy wants to do that. And I'll tell you, the answer is pretty much always yes. <laughs> right. Well, I think I've got a lead on a really good travel center outside of Ogden, Utah, if I remember correctly. <laughs> so you can call me later and I'll get you. It's right, a flying man. J. It's a good flying J. Yeah. So yeah. You- if anybody has anything I should check out between here and there, which is it's a big chunk of the U.S. between yeah, here maybe, and Greenville, Tennessee. You, Everything is between you need to go. Hey, you need to go to Dollywood. You're going to be driving right by it. I've okay. heard it's awesome. I've never been, but what I've is heard Dollywood? it's really awesome. It's Dolly Parton's um, like park. amusement park. Oh, Pigeon- I used I used to work at a place called Dolly, and people called us all the time, thinking that they were calling Dollywood. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've heard it's really fun, and it's like weirdly, I re- for some reason, I mean, when I was in college, I remember them telling us this is the biggest tourist attraction in Tennessee, which I always thought it would be Graceland, but no, it's Dollywood. So right. there you go. Well, yeah. maybe I'll check it out. Yeah. Now, how much longer would it add to the drive if you go back to the Precious Moments Chapel? Oh my God, I don't know. I need. I want to go through there anyway. I want to get my tattoo touched up, and that was right down the street from there. So oh. I'm looking. Actually, it only adds a few more hours if you go from Plano back up through Oklahoma <laughs> to that corner of Missouri, which you and I have both randomly been to. Oh my gosh. Uh, All right. Should we move on to the mailbag? I miss you, Jeremy. I just want to just, just say that. No. It's been too long. 
Um, yeah, for sure. Okay, so um, well, we have uh, a voicemail from a um, friend of the show, Missy, that we can play right here. This is Missy, friend of the pod. I had to pause the pod because I was at the ill-fated pool party in fifth grade, which I know exactly whose house it was at, and I know exactly what was said. Um, not to Hillary, but they literally, we all had to jump off the diving board and prove that we were, we could sink or we would float. Um, and I remember being so terrified that I was going to float. And while I was also a chubby child, I was very muscular. Um, so I was like chubby and muscular, which is like the Murphy family trait. And I also knew that if you expelled bubbles, it would push you down in the um, water. So I made I made sure I took the biggest breath that you could ever take. And I jumped into that water. And when I got to the bottom, I just sat there and slowly spit out bubbles to try and keep myself under as long as I could, which is like the dumbest thing in the world. And the whole thing was dumb, but like little girls are stupid. And every little fifth grader, now that I teach fifth graders, like their bodies, they're all out of whack. No, nobody's body looks the same. Everybody's looked whack. But to let you know what Hillary and I went through is that we went to school with 90% Barbies, tall, thin, blonde haired people. I didn't even have the, at least she had the blonde hair, but you had to have straight blonde hair. Hillary had curly blonde hair. So like, but I didn't have any of that. I, I was like, so nothing. My, I had short brown hair. I was the opposite spectrum of what was in fashion. If Hillary and I had gone to any other middle school in Dallas, Texas, we would not have been fat kids. We would have not even been chubby kids. We'd have been normal looking kids. We went to school with stick robots whose mom said things like nothing feels as, nothing tastes as good as skinny feels. Like they said that shit. Um, so yeah, like that's where it really goes with that. And this is really long now. And I'm sorry for doing a very long Thing about this all right love the pod bye okay i i texted missy after i got this voicemail and i was like confirmed what house that and she was like yes that's where we were and i'm glad that missy and i have some of like shared experiences that like we can just like we can just rattle off we we had you know we've been best friends since we were like two and three yes missy i was two you were three <laughs> and <laughs> she's two months older than i am so i will always I always just say that, but, um, but we have, you know, a lifetime of experience together. So it's nice to be affirmed by somebody else that yes, these girls are pieces of shit bitches and they were so mean in fifth grade. And it actually does sort of stress me out because Bridget is in that same grade. Now her friends are, it's so weird. And we kind of diverted talking about this last time I knew. And like my parents knew who the popular girls were in my grade when I was in fifth grade. Like it was very apparent who the popular girls were. It's not so much the thing anymore. I mean, I'm sure there are popular girls or whatever, but I don't know. Bridget seems very like she doesn't really care. Like it's not, I mean, it doesn't like affect her friendships or her, um, I don't know, feelings about school. So hopefully, I don't know. Hopefully it's past that. Well, I mean, girls, fifth grade I, isn't over yet. I know. I know. Oh, what I was your suburb again? Highland? Is it Highland Park? Yeah, it's Highland, Highland Park. Park. I, yeah. I I listened to that voice memo and I was like, "Oh my god, it is." There were such bitches. Like cheetahs eating gazelles, or I mean, it's just yeah. 
<laughs> is horrifying. Was, it was really horrible. And we can talk, we don't have to go in depth, but I, I do remember once I got to, once I got into eighth grade, I was like, I have to stop caring about this because I'm never going to be popular. Like, I'm just not going to be popular and I'm not going to run with that crowd. And it just is one of those, like, I, I'm not even going to try. This isn't worth my time because they, it's so, it, it seems exhausting. Like, they're all bitches and they're bitches to each other and they're bitches to other people. And I was like, you know, I have other friends. I don't need these girls right. so yeah no they were they were mean. I don't think any of them can possibly have had real friendships during that time no I don't think so I don't think so I mean who knows you if know it's all jockeying all for too. status in fifth grade yeah yeah oh god I'm well, there, I, there are more stories but yes it was sort of horrifying and everybody was very like aware of you know how, what your body looked like and what your hair looked like at that time. And Missy's right. She was like, at least Hillary had the blonde, but her hair was curly. <laughs> your hair wasn't supposed to be curly. Oh, well, alas. Um, but anyway, okay. So I'm going to, okay. How should I do this? Should I go Jeremy's comments? Yes. And then, okay. Okay. Jeremy left some comments on the run sheet. So I will read them. Jeremy says. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> Can't Jeremy read his own comments? Yeah, okay, yeah, Jeremy, you're here. I'm like, well, I, I'm assigned to this, but I thought, do I need to speak for you? Read, yes, it, read it like a reenactment. Though. Read it like it's Unsolved Mysteries. No, Jeremy, you read it. Um, or paraphrase, you know, whatever Oh, this is weird for me to try and read it. Um, I wanted to say, I, Anne, I think specifically for some reason you're coming to mind with this, but you did a really great job when you were doing the movie show of um, like giving a synopsis of the film, which was really helpful, um, especially for somebody that hasn't seen a lot of films. Like I, I'd never seen the shining and I was really struggling to follow along with the conversation. Like just grasping on the little bits and pieces that I kind of absorbed through pop culture or whatever. There's not a lot of plot to it, but yeah, true. we did make a sort of assumption about the knowledge that people would have concerning it. Yeah. Asshole goes crazy. Yeah, okay. yeah that's pretty good. Yeah, and also, spoiler alert on some of these movies, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, God, we uh, did say Curly dies. <laughs> I know, I know. The um, Legend of His Gold does not, though. No, thank God. Uh, the next thing I was going to mention is that when I was a kid... Um, I was in Boy Scouts or in Cub Scouts and I was at camp one time and these kids told me that I looked like the truffle shuffle guy from the Goonies. I think his name is Chunk. And I was just like, oh, okay, cool. Uh, That sounds funny. And then um, every time I saw them going forward, they would always yell at me to do the truffle shuffle. And then sometime later, once I figured out what they were talking about, like I, I don't think there was Google back then, but I either looked it up or saw. You asked Jeeves. I asked Jeeves or something, <laughs> checked it out on Prodigy um, uh, and realized what it was. It was like genuinely, it hurt my feelings so bad. There was a lot of people that said hurtful things to me, but for whatever reason, really stuck out. And um for that reason, and because I grew up in a bubble, I have I have actually refused to see that movie ever since. Mm. So <laughs> I still haven't seen Goonies. I mean, I to- uh, I totally understand that because he is the butt of the jokes, right? He's yeah. the little chubby kid who I don't know is just yelling all the time, and he's the coward and whatever. But as an adult, he's the best character in that whole fucking movie. Totally, for totally sure. Well, um, and. 
I just was looking at a picture of him when I was typing the note to see if I had got his name right, and I really did look like him. <laughs> I had super, I had they were wrong. Hair. I had, you know, a little bit of a gut, uh, but whatever. Um, and then the the last thing that I put on here was in regards to like traumatic events. Um, when I was a kid, and I don't know why, but my parents like didn't believe in in uh, training wheels for some reason. And so I never had a bike with training wheels. And I remember after my dad took me out for the first time when he's doing the like holding the seat and get going and letting you go thing, we got back and I was feeling very proud of myself and was was pumped up. And then I overheard my dad talking to my mom in the kitchen um, <laughs> saying, uh, uh, and my mom goes, hey, how'd it go? How'd it go? And he's like, I oh, didn't do very good. <laughs> it, it did not. It did not go well. Um and, and I don't know, I don't like, I don't remember a lot of my childhood, uh, ADD, all the alcohol abuse in <laughs> my, my late twenties. Uh, I don't know, but I don't remember a lot of my childhood, but for whatever reason that, that memory of like disappointing my dad, uh, really just has stuck with me to this day. Um, and thankfully I have continued the tradition of disappointing both of my parents, but especially my dad, into my into my adult life. So, well, it's, it's shout out to Wayne to, if you're you listening. Know, set the baseline early in life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh God. Um, I just threw a link into the Slack because I wondered. So, Jeremy, you looked like Chunk, played by Jeff Cohen. You oh, also God. now look like Jeff Cohen. Wow. Oh, no. Oh, weird. That is the Wikipedia picture on Jeff Cohen's Wikipedia. He is now a partner in a law firm in Beverly Hills. Wow. And, uh, yeah, you still look like Jeff Cohen. Well, don't if you catch me with my sunglasses clipped on my uh, <laughs> shirt collar like that, please right, feel, like free, to, feel free to Cohen. say something. Hey, you can I, remind I, me. You I still look my, like Chunk, Jeremy. I put my sunglasses there all the time. Same. So. Yes. Well, yeah, but you have cleavage. True. Hey. Also, hey. I, I wear them. On Some the of us have also have cleavage, Bobby. <laughs> I also wear them on the top of my head all the time, which apparently is a douchey move. But you know what? It keeps my hair out of my face. I wear mine on the top of my head all. Do you wear it back the time backwards the on the back of your head like Guy Fieri? No, no, uh, no. It's a headband. Yep. It's great. Last night I stopped at the grocery store on the way home from the gym, and I was wearing my sunglasses on my head. And I legitimately, when I was leaving, I was like, "Where are my sunglasses? Where are my? Sun- <laughs> oh shit, they're on my head." Yep. I love that's why I I like love the look of aviators, but I can't wear them because when you put them on top of your head, it grabs mm. your hair and it makes me mad every single time I pull them down. So I'm a Ray Ban scal because they just they just sit up there like a little a little plastic headband. <laughs> I recently started wearing glasses, and I got some of those clip on ones that like clip on the front of your glasses, yeah. and then when you want to go inside convertible mode you just flip them up mm-hmm. Very <laughs> cool. and then when you go outside and the sun's in your eyes again wham, flip them down doesn't get caught in my hair which wouldn't be a problem anyway it's perfect it's great yeah it's good solution. don't have to worry about doubling yep. up or mm-hmm. accidentally ending up with sunglasses on your head like some kind of asshole yep <laughs> oh god um, um there's a oh god there's an old snl commercial 
for Schmidt's gay. Oh, yeah, when he goes, oh, yeah. And that's all I can imagine is Chris <laughs> yeah. Farley flipping up his sunglasses. Oh, yeah, when all the dudes, like, come around the corner. Yes. And it's now a gay pool party. Oh, yeah, oh, I know exactly so what you're it's talking great. about. Yeah. Oh, Those yeah. are the glasses that I have. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Please find it, Bobby. Um, I'd like to watch that again. It's in the <laughs> yes. yeah. It's it's in the chat. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Should I read the question of the week responses? Please do. Yes, All right. Please. Uh, some of these were very made me sad, but I'm glad that y'all commiserated with us. Anne Louise says a middle school boy told me my arms were hairy like a gorilla. That killed me for a long time. But I also remember the nice, if awkward, Iranian guy at the dry cleaners who looked at my arms and said my arms were. More no- normal, unlike most American women. That's how I learned beauty standards are cultural and racist. Wow. wow. God. Ugh. Okay, Jonathan said, I God used to jokingly... dry cleaner guy. Yeah, seriously. Um, he says, I used to jokingly say to my best friend, it's the least I can do. His awesome deadpan was, yes, that's the absolute least you can do for me. I need to remind him of that. I felt like sharing. Yikes. Okay. <laughs> and then he said terrible was one girl who used to call me egger because she said i was shaped like an egg because i've always had weight issues it made me so sad and embarrassed god mm. people suck so rude. what does egger even come from though <laughs> i don't know i mean obviously what? egg but how how is that the form of it that your brain chooses i mean we have discussed before that an egger is a person wait what and this has come up before, hasn't it? No. And Egger is a person who collects the eggs, I thought. Oh, what? I yeah. didn't know that. Egger, noun. One that collects the eggs of wild birds, especially for gain. So, like, who sells eggs. Oh. Hmm. Was that because Egger. Meredith had that great-grandfather who was an egg farmer or something? Yes, this is it. This is what happens when Meredith refuses to be on the show and I'm on the show again. Egger. <laughs> okay. <laughs> was Meredith. Not to be confused with Hammonegger, which is like, you know... Yeah, a yeah. Good sandwich. Jordan and Pippin. <laughs> yeah. Lane says, as a chronic overthinker, I have a seemingly endless list of these, but one for my current current partner sticks with me. It was early into our now five year plus relationship, and we were sitting next to each other, and he looked down and said, "Huh, your thighs are bigger than mine." In a genuine, no! not malicious, not <laughs> not critical idiot dude observation, he did not need to say out loud at the time. I paused for what felt like an eternity before uttering an awkward, "Yeah." But joke's on him. Now, I regularly remind him of this conversation and how thoughtless it is to just blurt out that in the world that uh, that constantly criticizes women's bodies. So now that will haunt me him for eternity as it does me. Ironically, he's seen pictures of me at a much lower weight and said that I don't look very healthy in those... Um, correct. And I, still have meaty th- and I still have meaty thighs there. I don't know what to tell you, man. I have the thighs of a strong German milkmaid, even if I'm at a weight so low that it makes my period stop. Oh, yeah. I'm always ready to bring in the harvest. I mean, my my one of my friends said once, on my anorexic deathbed, my thighs will still touch. Because <laughs> it's always been this thing. It's like, oh, your thighs you know, shouldn't touch or whatever. And it's like, that's impossible. For most women, that is impossible. For most people, that's impossible. So, for those of you who actually read the show descriptions... You know that when I write them, I'm always looking for whatever goofy little turn of phrase or description someone gives for themselves to work into it. And Anne saying is always ready to bring in the harvest. <laughs> just wrote the description for me. So thank you, Anne. You're welcome. 
If there's oh. one thing that I learned from last week's show, it's that there was a lot of women that were traumatized by comments that people made about their body. Oh. Which oh, is yeah. why I have a proposal for all the T-She men out there. Let's make it our job to go let women know their bodies are great. We'll, oh, let, that's every way time, better. Every time you see a woman, do yourself a favor and do them a favor. And let's turn this your whole thing around. Your body is great. Hey, your body is, your body is awesome. You know, like don't get bod. specific, but just like, I love your body. <laughs> it's, it's awesome. It's a good one. There's, that'll never be it's taken. a totally normal the- looking body. <laughs> There's a guy that I used to work with. He has since retired. Um, and he actually used to say, not quite that blatant, but like we would be waiting for the elevator together or something. He'd be like, oh, Anne, your hair is just so pretty. And I'm like, oh, okay. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, to be clear, uh, I was joking. No, yeah, no. And the other thing <laughs> no. is, I, I, I talked to some in, uh, women talk, as women do, and I found out that he said these things to other women, too. But we came to the ah. consensus that it was really honest appreciation and not yeah. meant to be hitting on anybody or creepy or anything like that. He just enjoyed women. I'm like, does that make it better or I I mean I also enjoy women but once (laughs) you lean a little bit of euphemism into it it's gone (laughs) yeah Yeah. Uh, um, (laughs) Joseph says in 7th grade this 8th grade girl who I didn't even find attractive told me that I was cute but I wasn't fine I'm still (laughs) self conscious about that shit (laughs) Um, fine is my favorite like 80s uh, description of like a like mm-hmm. that guy is fine. Yep. My sister still says that. Call, like she, I she called Patrick Swayze fine. Well, I mean, I mean he was. Yeah. I feel like yeah. I remember a... saying that in like junior high. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um. It's like, Julie said. Oh, go ahead. It's like the people that still say cool beans. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh, honey, no, no. <laughs> Cringe. No. <laughs> uh. Um, Julie says, you were the princess in that play? Wow, I didn't even know that was you. You look so different. You were pretty from an eight-year-old less than a year after I had played the princess. Thanks, kid. <laughs> you look so different. You were pretty. <laughs> cool. Oh, kids are assholes. Cool. Um, Emily says, after I made All-State Choir, my director said to me, don't take this the wrong way, but I bet when people heard you made it, they thought, Emily made it? Maybe I have a shot. No, dude. I was always a good singer with decent music knowledge. You just played favorites and had me slotted in the she's okay. Okay, I guess box. Ooh. What I don't understand is how this director, I'm assuming it's male. Uh, yes. Well, unless yes. Emily's using ju- dude in a genderless way, but I'm assuming he's male. When he says, don't take this the wrong way. <laughs> well, how are you supposed to Come take on it? now. When's the last time anyone said that? And then it wasn't something that exactly. should be taken any other way. Yeah. No offense, but ugh, I hate that. Hate it. Yeah, that's dumb. Um, Christine says, I was running quarter mile repeats. Christine is a serious runner. Like, I I can run, like, maybe a mm, quarter mile. mile. <laughs> <laughs> if, I were, if somebody were like, you need to run a mile, like, right now, 10 is generous. Oh, like, I think yeah, yeah, 11, yeah. That's about maybe. my pace. 
yet. Um, Christine, she said, I was running quarter mile repeats on the track in high school. We alternated. All the girls ran while the boys watched, then switch. I ran my heart out around the last curve, finished strong down the straightaway, and my high school boyfriend came up to me with a big smile on his face. I thought he was going to congratulate me on the great quarter sprint. He put his hand on my back and said in my ear, you know, you're the flattest girl on the whole track team. Watching you come all the way around the bend, you definitely have no boobs compared to everyone else. <laughs> Why would somebody say that? Inside thoughts, pal. Inside yeah, thoughts. I know. Not everything needs to be said out loud. Um, Amanda says, mother-in-law once pulled me aside at a family dinner and confronted me slash shamed me for taking pills, parenthetically antidepressants, and how it was setting a bad example for my kids. I was mortified. I wouldn't be mortified. I'd be fucking pissed. I know. I mean, also mortified, I guess, but like pissed. Oh, yep. I'd be furious. Oh, my God. I, yeah. Punch her in the face. I mean, I don't condone violence, but kind of in that scenario. <laughs> Except for um, when your mother-in-law needs punching. There's a <laughs> yes. time and a place. <laughs> um, Sean says, and this one is broke my heart. I never loved you the way that you loved me. Oof. That sticks with you. I can't imagine. That's tough. Sorry, Sean. Um, and finally, Laura says, it's a toss up between my grandmother saying, you're so fat and her laughing hysterically when she heard I had a boyfriend. I have plenty of others, but those stick with me. Laura, you <laughs> uh, and I can sit together and talk about grandmothers. <laughs> uh, these depression women, I'm assuming, Laura, I don't know how to do And I'm assuming your grandmothers were raised in the depression. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway thanks y'all thanks for sharing your traumas with us as the kids call it trauma dumping yep we we asked for it so we appreciate it that is something the kids say yes yeah. apparently yep. and it's not cringe when you do the trauma dumping. <laughs> no it's <laughs> well it's frowned upon to trauma dump yes if you're not okay. asking for okay. it yes if people we haven't for yes it. if people haven't requested to learn about your trauma and you dump it on people that's, that's not, well that's yeah that's cringe. just tacky that i understand yeah <laughs> Yeah, we might even need to do a show on slang because <laughs> we're so <laughs> uh, <laughs> radical, dude. Uh, in my uh, in her dementia, uh, my grandmother would pat my belly and say that she liked my big Episcopal belly. Aww. <laughs> Let me keep that in mind next time I see you. Please do. Uh, it would be comforting now. I know that she's been dead long enough for me not to be mad about it anymore. But yeah. Uh, yeah. And then I just, since I didn't get to participate in this episode and, and all that, and I didn't write in my comments, um, the, I, I mean, I have plenty of traumatizing moments. Many of them were cell phones. But um, the kid who, I, I only got in a couple of fights. Is it growing boy? Um, one was defending a girl's honor at the bus stop. And the boy. other... Oh, yeah. I don't remember the details. All I know is I decked the kid. And then the other was this little scrappy kid who insisted he wanted to fight me and kept calling me database. Okay. Yeah, it's a nice database. amount of distance. It's because I had a computer before, like, most other people on my block did. Oh, and, sick burn. And at some point, yeah, I think I probably had a, now a spreadsheet, a database of, like, people's addresses or something like i was just playing with the few options that i had to use it and somehow this got relayed through enough of the kids around me that this one kid wanted to beat the shit out of me and kept calling me database and then tried to fight me but i was significantly larger than him so it didn't end well for him (laughs) like i didn't even really have to try that hard i just kind of pushed him away and he fell over and i was like okay (laughs) but he kept calling me database back then you had a uh even back then you had a uh database full of people's addresses (laughs) 
Yes. Yeah, yeah. I guess some things just, never change. Binders full of addresses. Yeah. It's actually uh, funny. We have a we have an eleven or well ten year old eleven year old now Google sheet that was the invitations to our wedding that we used, and every year it just becomes kind of the file that we turn into our Christmas card list. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. And then whenever we need an address, we go back to the the, the Google sheet called wedding invites. <laughs> and we oh, that was it. Like, yeah. Yeah, as people move and change last names and whatever, it gets updated. Yeah. All right. Medium talk. Let's do it. Medium talk, as we have alluded to, we're calling like a boss. Uh, The one thing that all of your hosts tonight have in common is that we are or have been bosses in our career. And, well, I don't know. This was one that rolled around a couple of months ago and we put on the list of things to talk about and um we were feeling it this week so i think we're going to talk about mm, the experience of being a boss how we liked it how we didn't like it yeah what kind of involved and what we think makes a good boss uh we couldn't do this show without jeremy we absolutely had to have him on there since i think you probably have the i want the most experience managing the most people and probably for the longest time. So yeah. uh, why don't we start with you? What is your boss experience, Jay? Uh, yeah, so I will say like the last 10 years or so, it, I've primarily worked in like tech company startup type environments. But one thing that has rung true through most of my bossing career uh, is that I have managed large teams or fairly large teams of like, I would say frontline workers, a lot of like hourly positions and stuff like that. Customer support roles, drivers, folks that work in warehouses, uh, which I think kind of brings its own unique <laughs> set of, of things. Uh, especially when you're in like, you're in the same office building as like some developer that's getting paid six figures after, going through like a two week boot camp or something mm-hmm. learning and, how to and do you give code. them bathroom breaks no okay no. good yeah. just want to that, make that sure damages that productivity way too much uh <laughs> but before that they get gatorade uh, bottles though right uh yeah i mean anything wide mouth it doesn't have to be gatorade but oh, okay yeah, gatorade yeah. is the most common <laughs> yeah. um five gallon buckets like you know anything anything um but uh prior to that my bossing experience was actually in church. Uh, I was a pastor for a few years. Oh, I started a Bible college. Way to think of it. I'm, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I got a thinking of the pastor as like the boss of people. Hmm. Well, there's a staff, you know, they weren't, the, they were mostly volunteers at like the church that I started, but that's at the true. Churches it's... That I worked at prior to that. Like I actually had employees um yeah I guess and then I, I went and started a bible college and so i had employees there <laughs> I, I i've never given it much thought but you know just as being a mm, parishioner i guess you'd say you see all the languages like the pastor is the shepherd of the flock and i'm like oh okay so this is a different twist on pastoring yeah 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 it's um you know it's like a i will i will say this like my the pastoring is like the best analogy that I can think of to explain this, but my like philosophy of, of management or, or being a a leader or a boss, like when I was, when I was a pastor, I didn't view myself as like my, my goal was really to 
equip the people in the church to like give them the tools that they need to make sure that they were okay to help make sure that they had everything that they needed to go tell everybody else about Jesus. Because realistically, like if our goal is to get other people to become Christians, trying to trick them into coming to church and like standing through songs and listening to a sermon or whatever, is probably not going to be the thing that like pushes them over the edge. Like the way that we were really going to change the world was by people coming to the church and like being equipped and getting all the tools and the resources that they needed to then go back out into their jobs as like teachers or bus drivers or whatever. And like introducing people to Jesus out in the world and in, in the same way, like even at my job now or at previous roles that I've had in the secular world, we'll say, uh, <laughs> I have always viewed my my role as like to, to really like I'm not going to know how to do somebody's job better than the person that's already doing it. Like I don't need to tell them how to do their job. My job is to like make them successful and make sure they have everything they need to do the job. And so that's like. I've had I've worked in a lot of really weird places and done a lot of really weird stuff, but that's kind of like one uh, like mindset I guess that has like flowed with me through my whole career. Cool. I'm ready to work for Jeremy. I know <laughs> he sold me, and, and also I, to accept Jesus Christ. <laughs> as I, I apologize. <laughs> I get I get uncomfortably earnest about this stuff. It's no, like, I love it. I, I am like a. Uh, I don't really take anything seriously and uh, but this is like the the one thing in life that I'm like that I really enjoy is just like working with people and um and I I I can probably get a little intense sometimes so I love I the like idea that. of of you know people coming to church and like getting infected with Jesus and then going back out into the world and infecting <laughs> other people with Jesus <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's Talks like some story. sort of massive global virus. <laughs> the Jesus virus. Yeah. Uh, Jesus 22. Mm-hmm. Well, let's see. Who makes the most sense to it? Bobby, why don't you... Yeah. You have some at least superficial similarities to what Jeremy's talking about. Yes, I'm also a regional operations director for God. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, uh, you know, I because I worked alone for so many years... Um, until fairly recently, like my, my management experience has been a little up and down, a little different through the years. So like I had a lot of interns and things with Viva and managed a lot of volunteers. And of course I hired contract musicians. So I was always doing a little bit of negotiating and that, but, but that was sort of rote and they knew what they were doing. And there's not exactly a lot of training there. The last year and a half, since I got to Albany, I now have a four direct reports and, um, we're a really, really tight knit team that works together. And I spend a lot of time doing a lot of like professional development and, and, um, uh, like just management of personality too. Also just working in the music world and the performing arts world, but nobody who works for me has ever worked for a symphony orchestra before working for the Albany symphony. So all of the skill sets are more about people who had raw talent and who are being trained into various tasks. And um, that is fascinating because it makes hiring really interesting. So I've now hired two of the four people on my team and one of them is very new and she's wonderful and uh, has a master's and is very, very smart, probably smarter than almost anybody else in the office or everyone in the office, uh, but has no hands-on skills with this work. And so I spend more time mentoring than I probably and mentoring and assigning and sort of helping shape and supervise than anything else right now, which is 
a thrill. I really, really enjoy it. I enjoy getting the most out of people. I haven't had this much hands-on management since I was the like the editor of my school paper when I had like this, the newspaper staff reporting to me or the marketing director of my student government. But it's really a lot of fun to have my own little heist team. Everybody has their part and it all fits together like Transformers. So <laughs> it's, and we talk about this stuff all the time, like, you know, team building style. And when we had an opening on the team, I consulted all of them. I was like, what do you like about your job? What do you wish you weren't doing? What can we do to craft this to fill the gaps in our, our skill sets and abilities? So we spend a lot of time figuring out how we counterbalance one another. And uh, it's a lot of fun. We're, I'm probably getting too deep into it because that's what I like about being a boss too. But um, my that's my current lived boss experience, which is that, you know, I, I had one of my junior staff members with me today at a fundraising conference. And for her, this was her first time doing anything like that. Cool. All right. I just thought of another question that needs to go on the list right away. So I put it on. Well, so then let's take it to Hillary. You have a different kind of management experience. I do. Um, my management experience is that like I just was the person that was like, they were like, do you want to do this? And I have no experience. I'm like, okay. Cause I was young and I was there and I thought that's what I should do. So my first one was <laughs> when I, needed a job in the summer between junior year and senior year of college, <clears throat> the census was hiring. So I went and took the test and I did well in the test because it was not that hard. And they made me like the manager of my group. So I didn't actually go like door to door. I had to manage a group of people that did that. Um, I was terrible at it. I was really bad because I was 21 years old and I like wanted to have fun and I didn't realize that I like needed to be more responsible Um with that. And also really honestly, it was like this little white girl that's in college with mostly um black adults. And I'm sure they were like, "What the fuck? Why are we listening to this girl?" And I was just not good at. It. I was terrible at it. Um I really didn't like it. I mean, I I I liked some of the sensitive stuff and it was sort of fun. It was fun meeting people, but I was not a good leader at all. Did you get any then, training? No, not at all. Mm -hmm. No, they were just like, okay, this is what you're supposed to do. And you have to turn in these reports, at, you know, every couple of weeks or whatever, and make sure you hit these numbers. Actually, the paycheck was pretty good. That was like 1350 an hour, which in 2000, in Memphis, Tennessee, that was fantastic. I was like, this rules and I didn't have to pay rent. So I was like, I get to go out all the time with 1350. It's amazing. Um, How many pictures does that buy? Oh my God. And there was a sandwich shop in Memphis that I loved so much. And I used to like, I just go there every single day. I was like, I can go out to eat every single day. This is great. Um, and so that ended obviously. And then the second time that I was a boss, um, I moved to Los Angeles from um, the Bay Area, and I had been working at a luggage store, and they moved me. I I just decided to move down there because I had friends down there, and I was ready for, like, a different city. And they were like, oh, yeah, we have an opening at the Toomey Annex to our store. So I was basically – whatever. It's too boring to even explain, but I worked in the Toomey store, and I was the manager of the Toomey side of the store. So I essentially was managing, you know, teenagers most of the time. Um, and again, I did not like it. This is the thing that, I mean, we'll get more into it. I'm not, I'm just not, a, I'm not a manager. This is not something that I'm not a boss. I know what I can do and I am, I am very task oriented, but managing people, I, I'm such a, I just want people to like me, which is like a sort of assholey trait. And I I don't like what what always ends up happening when I 
when I worked at Two Man, and I had these teenagers that were decent at their job, but they didn't want to, it's like having my kids, like they didn't want to clean or that, you know, they didn't want to put stuff back or whatever. So then I'll be like, oh, fine, I'll just do it. So I just like end up doing anything, everything. And it made me miserable. I hated it. Um, I have and, a strange feeling that's going to transition to Anne really well. Um, and strangely, I was just, I wasn't quite offered a job, but as of Thursday, my old company, nobody listens to this and it doesn't matter, but my friend who used to be my boss at my old company, who was probably my best boss, she was amazing. She's transitioning to a different role. And she texted me and said, Hey, this role is going to be open. I, I think you might be good for it. Like, let's talk about it. And it was tough because I love I love a lot of the people at that company. So I was like, I feel like I should say, I should say, yeah, I'm interested because I want them to be happy that I'm interested in it. But I just really had to listen to my gut. And I knew it wasn't more than like $5,000 more than I'm making right now. And if that, um, and so I just, I, we had lunch on Thursday and I was like, Katie, I have to tell you something. I actually texted her beforehand so I could like soften the blow a little bit. And I said, I know I could do this job. I just really don't want it. I don't want this job. I don't like managing different people. I don't, I like having tasks and I like completing the tasks. And I mean, it's not like I'm just like, I need a checklist and you have to tell me everything to do. I'm self-sufficient. I just don't, I don't want to be the bad guy. I don't want to be the one that's having to, uh, you know, fire somebody or what? I just don't want to. That's not my personality. And unfortunately, in my position, like leadership is sort of the next step. And I'm like, mm, I'm good. I don't really want it. <laughs> I'm good where I am. Um, so I turned her down. But she was like, you know what? I totally get it. I, she was like, I really, I, I didn't, I wouldn't know why you would leave your position right now because you have a pretty good situation going. And I was like, yeah, sorry. Love Maybe you guys. You've Bye. Got a great team of mature, thoughtful people around. Oh, you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, but listen, I got my quarterly bonus on Wednesday, so um, I'm I'm fine. I'm happy right now. So still I'm good. Drinks on Hillary. <laughs> I'm all good. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Can you please deposit that immediately? <laughs> yes, put it in your yes. Person, go to a party. <laughs> no, it went straight from a certain money account to right to my bank. It's all in my bank. It's all in my savings account. Good. So I worry. No about cash. You. No cash. No cash. Nine hundred and eighty-four dollar bonus. <laughs> I can't think about. It. I can't think about it. Uh, uh, well, that and- transitions to me. So my managerial um, experience started at a little place called Taco John's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but really, it's more of an unofficial management because I never had any management position. It's just that the turnover in fast food is so high. There yeah. came a time when I was 17 years old and had the most experience of anybody who worked nights <laughs> and weekends. Uh, so they just put the schedule together and I was the only one who had any idea of what to do. So I ended up being the de facto manager of that. Did they pay me? No, of course they didn't no, pay me. No. Did I think to ask for payment? No, of course no. I didn't. <laughs> I don't know why that would ever have occurred to me. It just shouldered the burden of working with the people who had been there for 10 days and, uh, ran a restaurant in a mall. <laughs> I still remember uh, some punk kid saying to me, he's worked there for like four days. And so what do you do with a person who has been there for less than a week? Well, you make him do the dishes. Yeah. And so he'd done dishes for four days. And one day he says to me, hey, Ann, are you ever going to do the dishes? Like challenging me. <laughs> 
And I said, honey, you learn how to cook and I'll do the dishes. And I never heard anything else about that. You know, in the remaining three weeks that he probably worked there. Um, nobody can say that I don't stick at a job because I worked there for three years plus a Christmas vacation. Oh, my God. I know. Oh, my I God. Know. All those nights of smelling like mild sauce up to the elbows. <laughs> it was quite that that delightful. might have just surplanted uh, always being ready for the harvest. <laughs> uh, but if we want to move on, um, people have heard me talk over the years on the show and our previous show about my store, quote unquote, which was a mm-hmm. gift store I started working in as a part time second job when I was in grad school, and things also kind of evolved there, like. We were pretty strapped for help for a long period of time, and so I just sort of made my schedule fit into what she needed, what my boss needed, like the day, a couple of days a week and whatever, and finally she came in one day and she was like, Anne, we're going to do your review early because you've been doing the assistant manager's job and I want you to get the title and the pay, frankly. And I thought, I was like, oh, <laughs> Yeah. Thus continues a trend of me never realizing my worth and that yeah. I should maybe ask for some things. And so I was just her assistant for six months or so while going to grad school and being a teaching assistant. And then the owner of the store called me and he was like, hey, would you consider being the manager of the store for a short time? Just because my boss was also the general manager. So she was doing daily operations at our store and then general managing the whole company. And she wasn't, you know, she didn't have the time to do the general manager stuff. So, he, you know, he said, if we could just, you know, you could do it for six months, get us through a Christmas because you don't want to lose a manager before Christmas. You want to lock that promise in. And then, you know, you can move on. And I ended up doing that job for almost six years. What with things happening and my general lostness in the world, I guess, if that's a good way to put it, and not knowing what I wanted to do with my life. Or, you know, a a paycheck that you have is better than a paycheck that you don't have. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I... It wasn't great for me. There are a lot of things that I liked, but I found myself always having to remind myself really strongly of the things that I liked because the other things made me so miserable. So at a certain point, I was like, why are you working so hard to convince yourself that this is the right thing for you? And I guess we'll talk about those a little bit more. Um, A couple of bullet points down but the thought just occurred to me bobby when you were talking about being in a tight-knit group and so forth and you know getting other people's input on you know what kind of people that you want what do you guys feel about office culture it's something that we've heard a lot over the last couple of years as Mm -hmm. bosses have pushed for people who were forced to work from home because of covid and now it's time for them to come back to the office because they need to be a part of office culture or because you can't have the right office culture if people are working from home and i may have given away my particular opinion (laughs) with the tone of my voice but i'm interested in in what other people feel about that so when you say like office culture you mean like in in-person office like yes 
I mean, I think that probably the people that talk about it the most, like, I think more often than not, it's about fear and control. Like, yeah. the people are yeah. convinced that people aren't working at home. Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. Uh, and I think that, you know, people maybe have a really positive experience and love working around lots of people and it's really beneficial and helpful for them. But there's a lot of people that probably don't feel that way. And those people probably are also not going to be very vocal about that. Um, And I just, I mean, it's stupid that we have to work anyway. Like, (laughs) here we go. (laughs) It's ridiculous. (laughs) Dave, Dave is on like, Dave has like discovered Reddit. Like every morning, he's like, "Look, look what I found in my <laughs> Dave, and am I the my asshole?" Guy. And the, he, but he's always like up on like um whatever the whatever the phrase is, anti work Reddit yeah. or whatever the and um and he's like, "Yeah, you, get, you know what? Yeah, this is right." I'm like, "I know, I get, I get it, but we need to pay our mortgage." Comrade so. Dave, <laughs> <laughs> just just be careful if you come on. He's like, "I've discovered 4chan." Ooh. I know, I know. Oh, no. Yeah. It's a short no, step no. from 4chan to 8chan. <laughs> None of the chans. No. Just no, stay, stay away from, from all the, the chans. <laughs> yeah. But I, I don't know. I, I think that my big thing, like I was at this startup called Dolly when um, COVID started happening. And I mean, I fought with them for like two weeks to even be able to send people home, which was insane. But um uh, I, I remember telling Christy, like, one day, literally, everybody downtown just walked out of the city and never came back, and everything was fine. Like, nothing yeah. changed about work. You know, I realize there's lots of places that it doesn't work like that, but there are a lot of places where it does work like that. And, I, you know, I, I can't think of a good reason to force people to go back to the office. I think that we need to, like, we need to explore different ways to try and find the connection that we're looking for, or the you know, whatever the, the creativity that comes from being in the same room together or wh- whatever their excuse is, there's probably right. just new ways to, to figure that out and trying to force people back. It, it, I don't know. It doesn't make any sense to me. And I know there's a lot of industries and thank God I'm not a part of them where these forced happy hours and outings oh, yeah. and sort of extra work commitments that people are either explicitly told that they must attend or feel that they need to attend in order to remain in good standing with their job. It just, it seems, I don't know, it seems counterproductive to introduce um, places for resentment to grow from. And, you know, I kind of understand here. I said I wanted everybody's opinion. And then now, like, I'm like, I got things to say. (laughs) I kind of understand because we have great office culture in at the university in my little department, um, partly because of this little thing called Mondays when Anne yeah. brings yeah. baked goods yeah. in, <laughs> when we would all gather around and have fucking cake and like talk about our weekends and we get along great and it's it's nice and we would have people from other part departments come by all the time and be like, man, I wish my department was like this. So I get it. It's nice to be like friendly and have fun with the people that you work with but i think we can still get it done right yeah yeah i mean i think that there needs to be an understanding more of of hybrid culture i mean there we were talking about it right before the show started there are times when it is easier for me to be in the office as far as just logistically getting things done and 
pointing out, not like, like, hey, I need to ask you a question on this. And it's just easier to do it in person. It just like nips it in the bud a little bit quicker. And, and like, I, I totally get that. Um, but I think that I have noticed people like, I work in office commercial real estate. So obviously everybody's like, go back to the office. And I'm a little bit like, whatever, it's fine. Like big companies are still going to write offices. It's just the way it is. Like maybe not as much, but they just will. Um, but I, I notice people, I mean, there, I, I went to the gym in the office the other day. Cause I was like, eh, cause traffic started to get really bad again. So I was like, oh, I'll, I'll go in before and I'll just shower there and be done. And when I went, up to my office to put my computer and stuff down and put my lunch in the refrigerator. I noticed a fair amount of <clears throat> men that were there that I'm like, are you just really, you're, you are not that busy. I know what your work is. You're not that busy. You're not an attorney. Um, are you just trying to get away from your family? It seems so weird. They're using this, like get back to the office cause they hate their family I don't know. <laughs> or they get all of their joy from interacting with people in the off- office. It's, it's sort of odd to me. Make a friend outside the office. Just make a friend. Bobby. That hurt. That really hurt. <laughs> <laughs> no, so it, when I started at Albany, well, I mean, I'll back up a little bit. Um, you know, I, all those years I managed Boston Music Aviva, I worked alone in the office. Like, I shared office space with another group, and it was nice to have a roommate. And I'm good friends with the guy I shared office space with for several years. But other than like lunch meetings and when I was out on site or running rehearsals or a concert somewhere, I was working alone more than not. And so I would, I mean, I was working hybrid before it was a thing. You know, I was working from my home office in Buffalo uh, part time for those years when I was flying back and forth. And even before that, I had a very flexible schedule. It took me like three weeks after I started with Viva to realize I did not to be, I didn't need to be taking the train into an empty office every day. Um, and that was before Zoom and all that became ubiquitous. And so when I started at the Albany Symphony, they had been working mostly remote uh, for a year and a half or a year at that point. Right. So uh, I, my team wasn't all in. Um, they started to trickle back naturally when I got there. They were worried about us being crowded. So my boss had like a rotation schedule where different people work different days, but it was all like mutually agreed on. But eventually we all just kind of came back. And we still have people who aren't in the office a lot just because it's illogical for them to be there. Like our operations director is a one-man department. And if he comes into the office, he's just surrounded by noise of other people doing other things that he doesn't need. So like he comes in when we have meetings and then he just works from home because it's easier. Um, For my team, it's, it's easier for us to be in the office because we're collaborating on a lot of things in sort of rapid fire. So like just today, I think it was before we got fired up. Um, my marketing coordinator was working on an email blast and there's a little bit of nuance to the way things are being positioned in there. Cause we're, we're sort of tucking some unfortunate news into a bigger message. And, and, uh, I just needed her to reformat it slightly, but I was in a conference all day. And so I couldn't just walk over to her desk and be like, just move this here and change that font and make it match the rest. So like, I'm trying to text this direction to her. And I'm looking at proof on my phone and we're going back and forth. It took like four tries over the course of 15 minutes. It would have been a 30 second thing to fix. And I think that's just the nature of our department. Like we're, we're a, we're a marketing team. We're doing a lot of like very yeah. nuanced stuff. Um, but when we have projects, like if my grant writer needs to just focus on something. And in fact, we, we just negotiated this. So when you're hearing this on Monday, my grant writer's working from home because she needs to put her head down without being distracted for the day. 
And yeah. I was like, okay, great. Stay home. Get your shit done. Let me know if you need anything. Um, and so I think what we're realizing is that there's this give and take there of like, well, you're you're managing the box office, so you need to be here to answer the damn phone unless you want it to forward to your cell phone. But like, we're learning to to give and take with that, and the trust has changed completely because I work with people who never would have thought that was okay before COVID, and now it's like, yeah, do what you got to do to get your shit done. Well, it is all about that. That's the thing that you said. It's the trust factor that it's like treat us like adults and don't like go to the lowest common denominator. Like we all have to treat us like we're, we're kids um, that don't know how to supervise ourselves or don't know how to get work done. Like if I'm not getting my work done, um, then okay. Yeah, fine. You know, that's another topic. But if I'm getting my work done, then why do I need to be there? I mean, I think it's a, I'm not saying anything new, but the butts and seats philosophy of management to bring it back to bosses. Yeah. As we are is, is, what people who don't have adequate managerial skills fall back on. Yeah. Like if I can yeah. see you and you're doing something, then I'm doing my job. Listen, I'm like on Twitter, I'm looking <laughs> at, you know, the different angles of Harry Styles spitting on, um, <laughs> I'm teasing, but, oh but God, I, I mean, I'm eyes so hard. I'm actually <laughs> no. looking at the ceiling. But no, I mean, the amount of bullshit that I get up to, I mean, and my team really plays blackjack in the office together. They like love to get together and play blackjack. So whatever. I mean, it's like people get up to bullshit and this is their social socializing. But yeah, it's, I don't know. It's a, we'll see. We'll see how it works out. I think I think things have definitely changed and some people are, are unwilling to accept that that things are permanently changed. When you asked us to stay home for two years, it was gonna change our culture. Yep. Yeah. Well, those people will be dead soon, hopefully. Yeah. I mean <laughs> oh, not hopefully. God. I mean out of the workforce. Uh, <laughs> soon. Hopefully. I mean hopefully. Well, let's get back to the specifics of our boss experiences. Jeremy, you said <laughs> the thing that you liked most was working with people. So um, what about it is, is particularly satisfying to you? Um, There's two things that came to mind when I was reading that or thinking through this one. I think that I love meeting all different kinds of people. (laughs) Yeah, you do. And I love weird people. I love. <laughs> yeah, you do. I, I love. I love all sorts of people. And I was waiting for him to say he loves the poorly educated. <laughs> learning about them and figuring out how their brains work and what motivates them. And uh, being being a manager has been a fantastic opportunity to do that. Like you get a very unique perspective into how kind of people are wired, which is great you get to meet a lot of people and it's it's the best thing and it's probably also the worst thing to be fair um uh but i also love um i love the fact that like in in the jobs that i've had anyway like usually at startups that are these kind of rapidly growing companies you get the opportunity to not only like work with the people that you're managing but like create systems that um that like systemically help people succeed, you know, like even after you're gone or whatever, like, like you can create systems and processes and whatever, that's going to make that a better place to work for people, for people that are going to be there far after you, after you go. Um, And you can create opportunities for people to grow into bigger positions in the company or at other places. Like 
one of one of my favorite things ever is that when I was at Dolly, I would bring people in uh, th- and they were getting paid $15 an hour when they first came in the door. Actually, when I started, they, it, they were getting paid $14 an hour, which is $1 lower than the minimum wage at the time. And and uh, we would be able to create this pathway for them. And I had six or seven people that went on to go work at companies like Amazon or Rover and go out and be able to make like real money out there in the world. Two of them actually ended up coming back for even more money than they were making at those other companies. Um, and so like, I, I love being able to see people like succeed and grow. And the only reason that I have been able to do some of the things that I've been able to do in my career is because people gave me a chance, like when I didn't deserve it at all. And, so it's kind of exciting and fun to be able to create those opportunities for other people, or I should say like contribute to creating those opportunities and then like help bring people through that and, and see them grow and succeed and kind of get to be there, you know, along the way to, to see people change and step into new things. It's kind of fun. That's very cool. That is very cool. I admire the fact that you have such a global perspective on it because you can see you can see like the thirty k view of stuff as opposed to being like in the weeds all the time. I think that's very cool. Yeah. Um. Well, so Bobby, it sounds like from what you talked about before, that maybe does dovetail a little bit with what Jeremy's saying for you. Yeah. You know. Um, I don't know if anyone at my office listens to this podcast if they do they do a really good job of not talking about it. So I'm guessing they don't, but that's because you're their old boss and you're cringe. Uh, yes. Yeah, I worried that when I first started people finding out about this show would be like, Oh no, they're gonna listen and then I realized no, I'm an old man, they just don't give a shit about it. Just even yes. better. Yeah. Um we pay garbage. I mean, seriously, I mean I've got I've got entry-level employees making low 30s yeah nobody gets I mean, into the arts for the paycheck right yeah exactly i mean it's also albany new york so the economy is you know the it costs a third less to live here than boston and it's still not the cheapest place to live but like 30 30 32 goes a little further here than it would in in a big city certainly not you couldn't live on that in seattle but like um or probably even austin for that matter no you but not. but um when you're 20 something years old and living in an apartment with roommates or, you know, have a good deal on something and you've got a decent car and you can sort of scrape it out. Um, it's, it's not a bad place to start. And so, I mean, everyone who works for me is under 30, uh, and they're all either in their first job or they're transitioning, um, workforce, you know, into different sector or they're just, um, or I figured out ways to hold on to them or we've figured out ways to hold on to them. So like I've got someone with me who's been there a few years and she's one of the people I went out of my way to say like, what do you want to do? What haven't you done yet? What do you want to learn here? And I'm very honest with all of them. You know, the person I'm talking about now, I I tell her she's going to be a director of development somewhere if she wants to be in not too much time. (laughs) And so my goal is just to keep her engaged with the things I can teach her and the things she can learn in this job so that she'll, it'll be worth it to stay. You know, I know I can't compete financially so I can compete with nurturing and flexibility and professional development and opportunities to do things. Um, and, and always, you know, even my young, young staff, 
you know, I'm always saying like, you're going to run this project because it's going to be really good for you on your resume. And you're going to try this and you're going to find out if you like it or not. And uh, stuff like that. Because if I can get three really good years out of someone and it was worth it for them before they go on to somewhere that can pay them better, that's great. And uh, just try not to lose everybody at once. But, um, <laughs> you know, that that's, you know, it's a lot of what I like about this job is I enjoy the mentorship part. There was a minute in my life when I actually thought I might like going into HR because I liked the the matchmaking process of finding people's strengths and putting them in positions where they can succeed. Um, but then most of HR is dealing with complaints and bullshit. And so I yeah. decided and payroll benefits and insurance and shit like that. So, you know, I would be very bored um, and frustrated, but um, the holistic, um, the holistic part of in, I, I just, uh, I'm struggling now because I hate the phrase like, Oh, we're like a family. And I think genuinely yeah. we embody that a little bit at work because like we're all going out to dinner and next week after next, because there's a restaurant in town that a lot of our donors like, and a couple of my team members were like, I've never even been there. And I was like, fuck it. We'll just go. I'll take everybody to You're dinner. Like of course, that's why. Dad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just like First of all, I come in drunk. You're disappointed all, that they can't <laughs> ride their bikes. <laughs> I, dem I demand my newspaper. They, they know not to sit in my recliner. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, and I always tell them I don't want to tell you that, that we're like a family because I like you more than I like most of my family, which is <laughs> well. And I accurate. think that it's really um, sneaky to say we're like a family because it makes people think, oh, I should do stuff for my family, like not ask for more money or right. like do things that I don't really want to do as far as my it's, job description. It's abusive, kind of stuff. It's, yeah, it's, it's totally abusive. Is. It totally manipulates people. It's not fair. Yeah. No, we're not a family. You are being compensated for work you're doing. I am yeah. grateful for that work. But we all are friendly and get along. And I think that that's, we have a really good key there. I mean, part of the hiring process for the last person we hired was like, even if they're super qualified, it has to be someone we're not going to hate. Like, because this team is too tight knit and too, we spend too much time together and there's no room for dead weight. So it's got to be someone talented and likable. Yep. I have a story yeah. later on about that that I'm just thinking of. <laughs> okay, so, Hillary, you did not like being a boss. Can you no, come I up with any, any positives here? I mean, in in that, what Jeremy said, I mean, I wrote down imposing my will, but what I really mean <laughs> is I like to create systems that I think are the most, um, like, uh, the easiest way to get something done in the quickest amount of time, the most efficient ways of doing things. That's just I, my answer. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Um, I, I don't like the managing of people, but I do think that I know how to do it best. So I will show everybody how to do it best. And if they want to do it differently, then, you know, that's on them, but they're wrong. So that was about the extent of what I like to do. I, like, I really, I so respect good bosses and y'all sound like good bosses, but that was just, that is not, it's just not me. But yes, putting up systems, that's good. Um, I was going to say what I liked most about being a boss was making a plan, <laughs> putting the plan yes. into yes. action. And I'm sure that surprises everybody about me. Um, Weird. I know. But <laughs> I, I, the way that I looked about at being a boss was I never felt like a boss. I just felt like we were all the crew team. It's just yeah. I was the, you know, and being the coxswain um is is not the right um 
the way to look at it because I'm not sitting in the back of the boat and like yelling orders while other people do the rowing. Like I'm in there rowing too. Yes. Uh, I'm just also the one who's in charge of, of steering. So I don't know. First among equals is that too yes. animal yeah, farm no, at no. all? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, but one thing I learned very uh, um, early on at Taco John's is that as a boss, you should be working as hard as anybody else. Cause I had some, you know, shitty assistant managers over at, at Taco John's who would tell you to do something and then go sit in the back room and smoke mm-hmm. with the back door open while they talked on the phone. And I'd be out there running around and I'm like, oh, this is not, this, this is not fair. Like I have a thing about fairness and, um, and back in those days when I was de facto running the evening crew, when it got to be time to start kind of breaking things down for the evening, I'd be like, okay, huddle up and be like, here's what we have to do. And I would list off the things and say, just pick someone, be like, what do you want to do? And so they could choose from, you know, the shitty tasks and uh, then go down the line and let everybody pick. And then I would take what was left over, which meant that I took a lot of garbage out (laughs) a lot of time, but you gotta be willing to do the work that you ask other people to do. And I think that really builds a lot of teamwork. And I like developing those relationships with people and working in retail can be an absolute shit show. I mean, Hillary, you and I have talked (laughs) about this at length for Mm -hmm. the holiday season when you're like holding on by the tips of your fingers (laughs) and then there's that moment when you realize i've lost all control of what's going on in this place i'm just trying to get through it to get through these customers to get through these tasks to be the uh, get to a point where you can take a breath and when stop. you're not just like on autopilot, just going, 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 yeah, do not like, stop, oh, do God, not stop. The line's getting longer. <laughs> <laughs> do I have a box for this? Is there a box for this? If there's not a box, where I'm the fuck lose my is mind. the box? <laughs> I'm gonna lose my mind. <laughs> Who threw the box away? <laughs> I don't care if it was damaged. I need the box. I know there's there is a lot that revolves around boxes in retail. <laughs> there is so much. But Can I, I get a discount on the floor model. No. <laughs> <laughs> but but the thing that I really loved was getting into a rhythm with another person and learning them and they learn me so that you can work together as a team and there is a, a you get to the level of unspoken communication. Um, where we'd be working back behind the counter. We've got the cash registers going as fast as we can. And you're just sort of navigating around each other. Like she steps forward and I step back and we move around and we never discuss it because we know each other's rhythms and we know how it works. And there is like a weird balletic beauty <laughs> in all of that. Yeah. That's a really hard to describe the kind of trust an understanding that you have with another person to be able to do it like that. And I'm always like a, a get shit done person. Like you, you learn really quickly in retail when you're hiring seasonal staff, there are people who are like, all right, here I am. Let's do it. I'm going to do this. Cause this looks like it needs doing. And there are people who are like, yeah, I'll, I mean, I'm happy to do whatever you'd like me to do. Just direct me. And there are people who are like, I'll be over here. 
Yep. I guess you can ask me if you want me to do something, and then I'll go back and stand over there for a while. And I'm that that first type that look for what needs doing and, and do it. And I remember working with somebody else who was that same way too. And in the beginning, it was frustrating because we would always get in each other's way because we were yeah. both trying to get the shit done. <laughs> but as we worked together more and we learned each other, it got to the point where it's really fun to work with another person in concert in yes. that way. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And and to know that they're taking care of things. And I had a lady once Oh, I loved her so much. She was she was a she was a middle-aged momish type. She was probably the age them that I I am now and she was coming back into the workforce for a long time. She had a kid who'd been in a terrible car accident and he had a traumatic brain injury so she couldn't work for a while and she had worked like as a nail tech before that. So she was coming into a different industry and she'd never worked with computers before and you know we had a computer point of sale thing and she was so afraid of it like you could see her fingers shaking as she would try to ring up sales and eventually you know she got more comfortable but she was never somebody that I would put on the cash register in a in a crunch right and one time she was like, yeah, I just, I feel like I'm letting you down because like all these girls, they're just so much faster than I am on the register. I can't do it. And I was like, Diane, I don't want you to be like any of these girls. No, you're not as fast as them. But you know what? When you're out on the sales floor, I don't have to worry about a thing because I know that everything is stocked. I know that the, the customers are being greeted in a friendly and authentic way, that you're taking care of them, that everything's getting cleaned, that when I finally get a chance to walk out from behind here four hours from now, I'm not going to have to do a bunch of recovery on the sales floor because you are such a good partner to me. Yeah. So... Those are the fun times working with other people when you have an equal partnership, I think, and when you have people that you can trust. Yes, yes. And make something yeah. good. So uh, yep. now I want to work for Anne. <laughs> <laughs> I remember uh, one time the the owner used to show up every once in a while. He'd show up like once every three months at my location and like expect me to follow him around while he told me everything that was wrong. Until one time I was like, do you know, you come and you criticize and you criticize and you never once tell me what I'm doing right. And he was like, huh. <laughs> he did things differently. <laughs> but this one time he was there and we were trying to move some stuff around, like move some furniture. And I was working with one of my people and I was like, okay, well, what do you think we should do? How should we? And the owner was like, I really like that you involve your sales associates in these decisions and that you make them feel like they have some ownership and some partnership. And I'm like, Oh God, of course, of course. Not like I'm going to have all the good ideas. I mean, I am going to have all the good ideas, (laughs) (laughs) but they have great ideas. (laughs) Uh, I just, I just really enjoy Bouncing off people and working with people in that one-to-one or, I guess, many-to-one experience. But I don't like the being on a different level than other yes. people. I'd, yeah. We're all down in the mud together. Okay. Yeah. That was enough for me. Um, but let, let's turn this around. Hillary, why don't you get it out? Get it out. Okay. Get it out. I, I – um, 
don't like managing different personnel. Okay, so this is a perfect example of when I realized I hated being a boss and it was like very early into my tenure at Toomey. Uh, there was a, an older lady who had been there for a while um, and she was really nice. I liked her. We got along. Uh, when I say older, I don't know. She was probably 60. Um, she knew the she knew what she was talking about for the most part. She was really good at selling stuff. And um, anyway, the store was small. I mean, it was, I don't know, maybe it was 800 square feet. It was not very big. Um, so, you know, if somebody's selling something, you kind of can hear, like you can sort of hear what's going on. And she was selling something, some suitcase to somebody, obviously, and they were having a conversation. And I think the guy mentioned that he was from Louisiana. And I was like, oh my gosh, I kind of chimed in. I was like, my sister's from Louisiana. Where are you from? And, you know, we had a back and forth. She sold the bag. Okay. But by the way, we didn't really make commission. I mean, there was, if you, if you went over a certain monthly amount as a store, you made some sort of commission, but it wasn't on a personal kind of basis. I mean, they did track that, but it was, it sucked. Like you didn't really make commission. Anyway, um, she rang the guy up, he left, and then she turned to me and she said, don't ever talk to my customers again. And I was like, I I just was, I was just making it like a friendly kind of atmosphere that people want to be this has a lot to do with youth of me being like, Oh my God, like I can't believe she just said that and not really standing up to her. But that's the kind of situation I just really didn't enjoy. I don't enjoy. I should have started just personally. I should have stood up for myself more, but I was 25 years old and I didn't really know how to do that just yet. But, um, I don't really like being the bad guy. I don't mind telling people like you need to do this. You need to do this. But I just, I don't, I don't, like dealing with people and their idiosyncrasies. I just want to get my work done and I like to work on my team and I will manage them to a certain extent, but I am not in charge. I don't want to be in charge. I don't want to be in charge. I just want to do my work and then go enjoy my other parts of my life. I I just, I don't like it. I really, there's something in me that it like scares me and not scares me like, oh, maybe this is a, you know how they're like, do something that scares you every day. It's not that kind of scare. It's like, I feel like I'm going to die kind of scary. It just makes me feel very uncomfortable and I shut down and I, and it's like I've never had a, an idea about office culture or or managing people in my life. I'm just like I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do this. So I I I don't like it. It's not for me. It never will be. <laughs> and that I, is uh, good to know. Yeah, I don't yes. wanna, I don't want to work for Hillary. <laughs> no, don't. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you probably would because I'd probably just do the work. Because I'm like, it's just easier to do the work than tell somebody else how to do it. Oh, I'll work for Hillary. (laughs) All right, there we go. (laughs) Well, all right, Uh, Jeremy, what do you dislike about being a boss? um, Nothing. You love every part of it. I would say that with all of the highs of working with people and seeing them succeed, like come all of the lows, because you also get to see uh, people oftentimes – because of their own choices, uh, you know, not not succeed. I guess the word is fail um, or go through really hard things or um, you just people can be so shitty. People can mm-hmm. be so shitty to each other. Um, yeah. One of the unique positions of a lot of the jobs that I've had is that like I'm this like middle management layer between like C-suite people and frontline workers that are like actually doing all the work and also usually the most like underappreciated underpaid people at the company and so you know shout out to comrade dave it's like a front row seat to like the meat grinder of capitalism and just seeing how it like destroys people 
Yeah. And uh, that that can be really, really hard. Um, and, you know, like one of the things I see a lot is that people get upset about some situation. They, you know, bitterness starts to bubble up because they feel unappreciated or whatever. And um, and they make bad choices because of it or they act out because of it. And then there's consequences to those choices. And it's like. It's hard to see because that frustration that they're feeling is totally justified, but that doesn't mean that they're like sheltered from the consequences of the, of the choices that they're making. And yeah. so having to like see that happen to people that you care about and oftentimes be kind of part of the consequences <laughs> of the enforcement of the consequences, I guess is, yeah. is kind of rough. Um, and, you know, having to try and, defend upping somebody's pay from $15 to $16 an hour to people that are, you know, <laughs> making $300,000 a year yeah. uh, is, is, is frustrating and, and tiring to, to yeah. do sometimes. I mean, can so, you just hit them yeah. over the head with a brick and take their money and give it to your people? <laughs> <laughs> that's one of those things where um it's the, it would come from a totally justified place of frustration and but when but you, you act wouldn't. out and make certain choices out of that anger uh yeah. there are consequences like going to jail hmm. and things like that hmm. <laughs> but Dang yes I, I, every yeah. single person that i've met with a c in their title is like a sociopath like their brains are just broken yep uh like yeah that's that's true. all I have to say. It's true. It's true. It's true. You don't get to that place without being a little off in yep. some way. Yeah. Well, Bobby, how about the sociopaths in the arts community? Yeah, I was just thinking about how my title could easily be chief marketing officer, chief development officer, or chief revenue officer, really, which is genuinely what I, my job is because it's bold. I stand by what I said. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's tough. Um for for several reasons one is like i have my own slate of shit i need to do so i love managing my team and i wish i could just do that full time um if i worked at a larger arts organization i probably could be like a like a chief of staff or a general manager under an executive director and that would be i think at this point perhaps my ideal position um but what I'm probably on is the trajectory to be an executive director somewhere eventually, which is good. Like I was for all those years, but I worked alone. I'd like to be an executive director somewhere bigger and be able to focus a bulk of my time on team management. Um, but right now, one of the things that I hate about being a boss is not having not having all of my energy available to be a boss. And there are times when I will apologize to my team or members of my team to just basically say, this is shitty we've got some work we have to get done and I'm sorry, but I just need you to do it. Like I can't, like I need you to just not come back to me with this. I just need it to be done. Um, I'd love to have a long conversation about how this can be done better or you could learn something from this or whatever, but not this week. Like you just have to go work or sometimes just sorry. I ignored you for three days cause I was buried in something else. Um, even with only managing a few people, it seems like there's always something I should have gotten to that I didn't. And it's just a matter of, you know, when I worked alone, I always used to tell people that my to-do list was never ending. It was just a matter of prioritizing and, you know, there's always more work to do. That is now true, but other people depend on me as part of that list. And I feel like shit when I don't get to them. Uh, and then also, yeah, there's just the nonsense. Like, 
I don't like having to take time out of my day to politely remind someone that they work an eight-hour day and I need them to actually give me eight hours of work, (laughs) which comes up sometimes. And, you know, when when staff is young and and has other stuff going on in their lives, and I'm like, yeah, you're good at your work, but I actually do need you full-time. And other reprimand stuff like that. That sucks. Like it's important and it's character and and professional building for them and it's good. But like I don't have time for that. I got to go raise a bunch of money. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Like I um I don't like the parts where I actually have to play like the parent role of being a boss because I like to treat everybody with with that respect and trust that they're going to come in and do their jobs well. But sometimes people just don't know how to do that yet. They haven't gotten that far. Yeah. Um, I do think being like a chief of staff would be your perfect job. Probably. Probably. But I'm thinking, did you watch House of Cards? I started to, and then I drifted away. And then by the time I got back, the Kevin Spacey was. Yeah. 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 So Kevin Spacey's chief of staff, what's his name? Doug Uh, Stamper. Yeah. You would be a perfect Doug Stamper. Uh, you prefer a Leo. <laughs> I do. I, I remember, Hopefully no, no, without no, the no. murder part, though. No, no, no. No, I'm not going to West Wing. I'm going House of Cards. I need to see you burying a dead girl in the desert. Uh, I mean, for the right boss. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think you would be truly excellent at a job like the minus the murder, blah, blah, blah. But the, but the um, taking care of things and yeah. getting shit done you are a get shit done kind of person like me yeah. as well yeah yeah um for sure we should have a i so uh, we haven't even gotten into this but i'm i'm in a leadership class for the albany chamber of commerce and i just had my orientation last week which is why i was too busy to be on the show last week among other things but we did our disc assessments as a class oh. and for those of you who are familiar with the disc assessment i am a high d <laughs> Like, it was the least surprising personality traits test I've ever taken. Like, um, I'm just, like, almost off the chart in the D wedge of the pie. And, yeah, that's the it's the get shit done, probably. Yeah, uh, yes, it's also very giggly. Yeah. It's just oh, in. Yeah. Bobby's a big D. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Nobody is shocked. <laughs> but, um, yeah, the, the part about me being a big D is also that my boss is uh is a high s which is like the opposite polar opposite end of the spectrum from the d and when i was hired one of the things i noticed right away is that we would work well together if we could tolerate the fact that we are polar opposites because we balance one another really well and that stands true yeah um but yeah i'm very much the the high d pie wedge is the one closest to the word results mm. yep mm-hmm. yeah yep uh well it's interesting to hear this sort of division about what people like and dislike about being a boss in in that um, Bobby and Jeremy, your likes of being a boss involve working with people and your dislikes about being a boss uh, are about working with people. And Hillary's was a much more individualized (laughs) kind of thing. And and, no, but, but I'm with you. To be fair, people are terrible. 
It's, yes. <laughs> True. Maybe, well, maybe this is failable, which is the other problem. <laughs> yeah. yeah, maybe this is a gender thing. I don't know if our, our sample size of four points anything. But the thing that I found hardest about being a boss was having the responsibility for things that I couldn't control. Yes. Um, being responsible for, you know, the store has got to oh, yeah. be open. Can I also add that one to my list? <laughs> <laughs> That's a yes. good Got, yeah. got to be, be responsible for yep. stuff. This has got to be done. And a lot of times there are things that I just, I have no control uh, over yeah. that. Yeah. And, and that um, perfectionistic. I'm deeply identifying with you, Anne. Yes. That, that <laughs> perfectionistic side of me, that side that, I, that says, you must be perfect in all ways. Otherwise, people will not value you. Really, my anxiety gets high triggered. When there yeah. are things that need to happen that I can't control that I'm responsible for. And I remember we yeah. closed, most nights we closed at 9 p.m. And I would be at home and probably about 10 minutes to 9, I would start to feel really <sighs> anxious. And yeah. that feeling would last until about 9.15 because it's that 25-minute, half-an-hour window where if there's going to be a problem at the end of the night, you need cash or yeah. something about the closing of the store, someone's going to call me and I'm going to have to solve that problem on the fly over the phone. Yeah. Really, I hated that feeling so I hate it. much. I hate it. So much. Hate. Um, I just, and being responsible for other people's behavior to go to the behavior thing was really stressful for me. And, you, you know, I don't know, I, I'm going to say unfair, but like not unfair if that's what you're getting paid to do. But it was something that I did not tolerate very well. So it was just really a relief to get out of the boss position just solely for that. Yeah, I agree. Ugh. That's yeah. Okay. You saying that just brought back this whole flood of like, th in the same way that like you have the opportunity to set people up for success. Like if you fuck up, like you're you're letting down a bunch of people, uh, creating real opportunities for people to be negatively impacted because of you dropping the ball or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, which I realize is a little different than what you were saying, but I had to tell one story that, that came to mind, <laughs> which is um, when I was working at one of the startups that I was at that uh, works similar to Uber with lots of contractors. Um, and I, one of the teams that I was responsible for was the support and operations team that answered the phones for the drivers and the customers and everything. And there was a day where we fucked something up and everybody's pay was going to get, Oh, the, my whole team's pay was going to come in like two days late, which is a big deal for anybody. But I think yeah. especially when you're like kind yes. of an hourly, like in that yes. time of your life, that is a huge deal. Yeah. <laughs> like that's your yeah. phone getting shut off. That's yeah. all sorts of stuff. Rent late. Um, and that same day, we also screwed up another thing where all of the contractors that we had that worked for us, all of our drivers, it was about 6,000 people at the time, their pay was also going to get delayed for a totally separate reason. And so we had like 6,000 pissed off contractors calling oh, into a God. team of, you know, 30 
pissed off <laughs> support agents that were like it was just it was this big huge ball of like emotion and i just remember just feeling this like overwhelming sense of dread <sighs> as to like how many people's lives were being like completely yes. disrupted in like very significant ways because I forgot to click a button or, you know, whatever. Some developer forgot to yep. flip a switch or some stupid thing. Yeah, you can't so. just be like, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> My bad. Uh, yes. God. Stuff yep. going wrong and having it be on your shoulders and even stuff that's out of your control. Good call, Anne. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was too busy thinking about myself to, to think about other people. But you showed me well, the Well, I was thinking explicitly about myself. <laughs> <Jeremy>. Yes. <laughs> Well, uh, then let's go on and talk about, you know, one of the best benefits of being a boss, which is firing people. <laughs> have we, not, Hillary? Have, yeah, no. Have you fired I never them? did. I knew no, it. You, I never you did. wanted them to mm-hmm. like you too much to fire yes, them, didn't you? Yes. And I would just, especially since they were teenagers, it's like, let's just wait this out until <laughs> summer ends and we're good. Nope. I never did. You never did. Um, I've had a couple of people that I kind of fired what is that quiet firing sneaky firing (laughs) quiet quitting yeah Yeah. I've done it before I I had a couple of there was there was this person that I inherited when I took over the second store that I managed which is a long story but there was a husband and a wife team and the wife was awesome she was so great but she eventually just basically didn't want to work anymore and took her off the schedule but the husband michael uh stayed on and he was just such an odd fit for a gift store he was a programmer of some kind in his day job and he was this big slovenly shaggy haired sort of wild looking dude which whatever but the worst part is he was really condescending to the customers especially to women Oh. Like he would make condescending remarks about what they were buying or whatever, whatever. It was just, I was like, dude, why? I think, well, he was working for the discount because he and his wife liked to buy stuff. But he was just not pleasant to work with, not a bad person. And he also, I could tell he really, really, really didn't like being managed by a woman who was 20 years younger than him. He just the previous manager had been a man and I don't know what that was like, but he would play a lot of gotcha with me. Like he'd try and ask yeah. me something or find something to which I would not have the answer, which haha, Michael doesn't work with Anne. <laughs> um, and finally I was just like, I we can't do this anymore. And I just took him off the schedule. And when he came in to check the schedule, I, I was there, I happened to be there, and I said, Michael, I, I just, I think that we've reached the point where you know and I know that it, it's it's time to part ways. And he took his key off the key ring and threw it out of the ca- on the counter, just like tossed it on the counter and just turned and walked out. And I was like, well, that went well. <laughs> that actually probably went as well as it possibly could have gone. <laughs> So, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't know anything about uh, the law when it comes to, like, what you no. have to give people in terms of firing. It's not like you made much income. But I did actually have one other young woman, I think she was 19, that I 
took off the schedule and I'd hired her as seasonal staff, but kept her on afterwards. And she was such like a bright, personable, sweet thing. And she was so enthusiastic and she like her background was rough. Like it seemed like her parents weren't in her life. She was living with her skeezy boyfriend in the basement of his grandmother's house. And he, uh, dealt drugs yeah, she said, no, he doesn't do drugs anymore. He just sells them. Uh, and he had a kid with another woman, and that's why he couldn't have a real job. So that bitch couldn't take any of his money. And I was like, oh, this is not good. But, like, I, she had such potential. I wanted to, like, give her an opportunity and show her that there were, like, other ways and other people that she could be with and whatever. And... And I'm pretty sure she was stealing was the problem. Oh, oh. And once and it was one of those where I never caught her, but there was like it was there before she worked and it wasn't there after she worked and we didn't sell any of it and it happened one too many times. I was like, I can't. Yeah. I so I lied to her and I told her that the owner was forcing me to cut hours and because she was the newest person on the schedule she was the first person that I had to take off that I was really sorry and blah 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 and she was like okay I understand but she was really nervous when I said that I had to talk to her about something. Oh, yeah so, so she knew she, she, knew. Like, she thought yeah. she was getting caught and she <laughs> knew like, no, she I'm... got off yeah. pretty easily now the end to this story is I was so relieved that I took her off the schedule because she came back the next week to stop by and pick up her final paycheck. And she told me she was pregnant. Oh. And I was like, thank God I fired yeah. her before <laughs> yeah. I found out she was pregnant. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Cause yeah, Ooh, no, it was just not good. And, and to be honest, I was pretty deliberate. It was not only a wish to avoid confrontation that I did it the way that I did, but also this boyfriend was bad news and I would not have put it beyond him to slash my tires in an act of revenge or wait for me at night outside the mall. I was like, I just would like to move this along without putting myself in the potential path of violence. So I have no problems with with how I did that one. Yes. I think that you chose the right path. Yep. Yep. And the last I knew of her, she was, you know, working full time at a gas station while like eight and a half months pregnant. And I really Mm. hope that she figured out something with her life because she was too good to you know, keep going down that path that she was going down. But I don't know. I doubt it. So anyway, with that uplifting tale, Bobby, have you ever fired anybody? <laughs> like not contractors or whatever. Yeah. Um, not exactly. With the contractor side, I have just strategically not rehired people. Mm-hmm. So like um, if, if a musician came unprepared, was late once, just, they basically just got blacklisted, not mm-hmm. not in an illegal way, but like they just weren't on our death chart anymore after that. Trust, it's just one of those moments where a trust is an easy thing to lose and a hard thing to gain. And right, where it's just not it's not worth it to have them back. It's, right, 
Right. I would much rather take the next most talented uh, player at that position and know that they will work hard and show up ready. So, yeah. yeah. Um, I haven't fired anyone truly. Um, I have in a couple of different points in a couple of different positions um, helped ease people out in an effective way. <laughs> um, and, Grease and I, the and slide. I, and no, actually, and I mean that sincerely, and I'm going to be delicate here in case somebody who I've worked with does hear this and, and knows what I'm talking about. But, like, I um, – well, I'll just say, I mean, this is easy enough. I, I have someone who was on my team when I got to the my current job, and she is extremely talented and smart, and we weren't paying her enough to, to cover what she needed, and she was working other gigs, and – had skills that we weren't using well and she had been bounced around with a couple of different bosses and a couple of different job responsibilities. And, you know, we, we kept finding ways to try to make the job fit for her, but really it just, she'd outgrown the place. She'd been there a few years and, um, you know, we had an annual review and I basically just said, I can't, I can only do so much for you here. Like you're, I can't give you a job that you'll excel in because I don't have something that matches your abilities. So, think about that and think about how I can help you and and let's keep talking about it and less than a year later she came to me and she had a job offer for a much cooler much more interesting job somewhere else and she was like I don't want to leave and you know necessarily you know leave you guys in the lurch and I was like go what are you talking about <laughs> like we're ready we'll figure it out and you'll be doing something better for you and making more money doing it like just go that's fine um, and it, you know, it worked out well. I think just being honest with that person that, that, you know, it's, it's time for you to figure out what's next for you. And it's time for us to figure out what's next for us and taking the time to let her do it. Um, that was great because, um, I didn't want it to reach a point where we had to start documenting the fact that it wasn't a good fit. Right. It seems so, to me that you found a pretty win-win solution. Yeah. Yeah. It worked out for everybody. It was a little awkward when it happened, but it worked out well for everybody. And um, I think everybody's stronger for it. Our our team and her, and she can still come back and visit and hang out, and that's great. Um, yeah, firing's really. I mean, way back when, and we didn't get into this earlier. I mean, I was much like you, and I was the de facto manager of a coffee shop when I was in high school, because I was the guy willing to do inventory and put the payroll through, mm -hmm. <laughs> and I wasn't making any more money than anybody else. I was just a fucking kiss up and a nerd, and I wanted the hours, and so I was. And, you know, and you're like, well, this needs to get done. Well, that nobody too, else is right. doing it, so I the guess I will. <laughs> the owners looked at me after a couple of months, and they were like, "Hey, we're gonna go on vacation for a couple of weeks. Can you just do this stuff?" And I was like, "Yeah, right, sure." <laughs> and and we had people there who. I, I mean, I didn't really have the authority to fire, but I basically just was like, they got to go, you know, and then we took care of it together. But like, yeah, I haven't been in that position where it's been so blatant. It hasn't been like somebody stealing or somebody just completely um, doing something awful or being insubordinate or ruining something um, yet. I'm sure I'll get there. <laughs> if you're a boss long enough, it's going to happen, yeah. right? Yeah, I'll just pass my firing credits on over to Jeremy. Yeah, come on, Jeremy. <laughs> Give us the good stuff. Uh, I have fired a lot of people. I, I was trying to think about it, actually, ahead of time for this show. And I I think I stopped counting at 35 that I could remember. 
and I'm, I'm sure that there's been more. <laughs> it's, I think it's a very unfortunate side effect of the jobs, the, the types of jobs that I've had, um, puts people in some bad situations and just lots of bad stuff can happen. <clears throat> and then you have to, you have to let people go. But one thing I will say is that like there are employees that I have let go that I am still in touch with, um, unless it's something like incredibly egregious where I'm concerned about like somebody's safety or something like that. I have told every single person that I will gladly be a reference for them. Like I'm, I'm not trying to keep anybody from getting another job. Don't wish them ill. Uh, it just clearly wasn't a good fit. Um, and the other thing that I have done a lot of is similar to what you guys were saying is like, I'll just sit down with people and say like, okay, let's have an honest conversation. It's very clear that you're unhappy and this is a really hard job and maybe it's just not the job for you anymore. If you want to stay here, that's great. Let's work on a way to make it a place that you want to be. And if it's not, that's great. Like, what can I do to help you find another job? <laughs> and, uh, have been able to have conversations with people that have, have been a lot more productive and I think prevented like kind of situations from boiling over. Um, now that said, the one, the one, the, the, the biggest event that sticks out to me in terms of me having to let people go was, uh, what they still call at my former employment, um, employer, the, the Valentine's day massacre. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> this was uh I came across some um slack messages or some some like internal chat messages going on um between some people on my team uh talking about like a Game of Thrones level plot to get me fired to like make it look like I had screwed up all this stuff and <laughs> then like pin the blame on me and then pull in people at this certain time and I mean like it was it was intense, um, and Why? they were complaining about how terrible uh, they because they didn't like me. I guess I'm, I was a pretty new boss at the time, um, or I was their new new to managing that team there, and um, there had been a lot of it had been a pretty lax environment prior to that in terms mm. of like expectations, and sure. there was you know I was like we, trying to to the company was growing very quickly and we needed to sort of tighten things up or it was going to be a disaster very quickly. I mean, so, you, you came in and set some boundaries and like right. any toddler, yes. they yeah. push back against that. Yes. And you know, they were just, they were mad because they didn't think I was like in solving enough tickets or answering phones or whatever. Um, and you know, didn't think I, I cared about them enough or I worked hard enough for them. And ironically, I came across all of this stuff. I was there at like nine thirty, ten o'clock at night. I went in after all the phones shut off because I got them all new computers and <laughs> I was setting up all of the new workstations for them in the middle of the night so that when they all came in in the morning, they, they would be able to find all these brand new workstations that we had gotten for them. Uh, and they were smart enough or dumb enough to ha be having these conversations on, you know, company owned computers on the company um, uh, hosted internal like messaging service that we had um, on shared workstations that they then left logged in. So I, it's not like I was snooping, like I'm unplugging these computers and bling, 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 like the messages are popping up. Like I, <laughs> I, I didn't even have to go look for them. Um, the other thing that they mentioned is how uh, they were pretty regularly uh, getting drunk and using other other substances at work. 
um, <laughs> all, all sorts of different things and talking, telling stories about how even people that weren't working would come in and bring drugs on their day off. Oh and, you know, once everybody was out of the office and on the weekends when they knew nobody was going to be there, they would like all get in one room together and just stop answering the phones, like just turn off the phones and only <laughs> do like email and text Badass. tickets now, and see, then watch, watch like movies. Culture. <laughs> this is the yes. office culture we right? want. Exactly. <laughs> um, Forget House and, of Cards. This is Mad Men. And watch like movies and stuff like that. Uh, God, no wonder so, they didn't like you. <laughs> and so this was the day. This was the day before uh, Valentine's Day. So at the time, my team was about twelve people. And that night, I went home. I called my boss. I talked to her about what I had found. You know, we kind of talked it through. We looped in the CEO. Um, talked with him a bit and made the decision to just let them all go. Um, just like kind of rip the bandaid off because it, there, if we tried to do it any other way, like it just wasn't going to be a good scene. Uh, and so, you know, it would be painful in the short term. If we tried to do it in any other fashion, it would be much more painful in the long term, I think. So um, we came up with a plan for the next day. We reserved like a big conference room on the, on, in the building we were in and, um, you know, had the different department heads go around and greet all of their people and go up to this conference room to get the whole company out. So I, I went around and I gathered everybody, uh, nine of the 12 people on my team, and we... Uh, uh, we went into our little side conference room. While I was doing that, the rest of the company was going up to this um, other floor of the building just to get them out of the way, basically. And then I, oh my dog's like flipping out. Um, and, and then I, uh, uh, and then myself and my boss and the CEO sat in a room with all all nine of these people and said, like, hey, this is what this is what we found. This is what's happening. You guys have 20 minutes. Here's some boxes. Uh, this isn't a discussion. That's that. And we handed well, them some boxes and then damn. went out and, and watched them all pack their boxes and, uh, and walk out of the building. Skedaddle. Yeah. And then my, not my favorite part. The worst part of this is that the next day, um, so Christy a while back, she's probably talked about it. She had to get shoulder surgery because of a, a car accident we got in. Oh, Actually, on, the, on election, on election night, night, 2016. Yeah. yeah. So she got, she went in for su- surgery two days after this happened. So, so Christy was basically incapacitated for like three months, couldn't drive, couldn't do anything. And at the same time, I was having to like, not only make up for the work of these nine people that were no longer answering the phones and answering text messages and doing emails and doing all the customer support stuff, but also... Of course, we didn't have HR, but also working to, uh, you know, recruit, um, interview, hire and train an entire new team with no like, you know, we had no training program. We had no documentation. We had no any of that stuff. Uh, So that was like that was a that was a uh, that was like trial by fire in that position, you know, and uh, I spent probably about a month and a half working like 15, 16 hour days. Like I would get up in the morning and 
work for a couple hours before Christy got up, help Christy do her stuff, run down into the office, work all day, come home, help Christy do her stuff, sit in bed next to her while she slept, work till two, three in the morning, fall back asleep, get up like an hour and a half later for like a month and a half, uh, you know, trying to rehire and retrain the team. And then also just like, deal with the fallout of this whole situation and, and, you know, absorb as much of the workload as I could. Um, but you know, the, the four people that were remaining on the team, or I guess the three people that were remaining on the team, we all bonded over the next little bit. Yeah. <laughs> kind of, I'm actually trauma bonding with one of them. She, uh, her and her husband live right down the street and th- th- I go on, they come on walks with me at like two, three in the morning all the time. We're, we're still in touch. Um, she actually, when when everybody, when when all the department leads and everything went around and grabbed their people to go to get out of the office so we could give these guys some space to gather their things, um, they forgot to tell her. So, like, we came out with these nine people <laughs> on her team that had just been fired, and she was just, like, sitting there on the phone and turned around and realized the entire office is completely empty. <laughs> Her former co-workers are now packing <laughs> packing their things. Like she <laughs> had like, no what idea fuck? what was going on. Uh, but yeah. Yeah, that was that's my like that's my my wildest story about having to let people go, you know. Oof. I've yeah. had a couple like pretty confrontational people walking off the job or there was two people that I had to let go, like literally standing on the loading dock at the last place that I was at. Um that got pretty heated, but, but yeah, that was the, the Valentine's day massacre was probably, was probably the <laughs> wow. worst. Dang. Exciting and not in a good way. Yeah, it was, I mean, almost every person that I hired after that for the next year and a half or so at that company would always at some point in the interview be like, okay, so I was looking at Glassdoor. <laughs> and like, Stop. I've, got, I've got I've got some questions <laughs> I can imagine well so we have um had a lot of material here that yes. we've discussed but we have one last thing that we need to quickly go through at least quickly whatever yeah. and that is tips for the future bosses out there for the current bosses who may listen to this for a future ourselves if yeah if and when we boss other people or become bosses again for you and me hillary god please yeah. no 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 uh, <laughs> i would love to be an individual contributor for the rest of my career but yes tips for being a good boss and i think i said mine before in the context of working at taco john's is be the person who takes the trash out yeah be willing to do the same shitty stuff that other people have to do so that they understand that you are wi- that you are working with them and not over them and i think that helps a lot hillary um i think the number one thing that comes to mind is don't micromanage um your employees um as long as you have trust in them and you hire them and you trust their skills um, you kind of have to be a therapist or a psychologist a little bit to be a boss, I think, in some ways and understand um, where their strengths lie and um, help them rise to the occasion, but don't like get in their business that they're doing a good enough job. That, my, my best bosses are the ones that 
that have let me kind of fly. Bobby? Yeah, that's it. And and just, you know, be a be a human and treat yes. people with humanity and dignity and grace. That's Well, now let's not it. be crazy. <laughs> and Jeremy, fire um, everybody my... at once if you possibly can. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Rip the band-aid off. Hire hire slowly, fire quickly. Um no, my well, that's actually true. But uh, my biggest advice is, uh, as hard as it is, and this is coming from somebody that is a massive people pleaser. If you are a people pleaser and and you give in to those urges as a manager or a boss, you will be miserable and your team yeah. will be miserable. So yeah. you have to constantly challenge yourself to be open and honest uh, in your communication with your team and with your supervisor to make sure that uh that things will stay on track um, as hard, as hard as it can be. Uh, if, if you try and make everybody happy, you, you will make no one happy, including yourself. True debt. Why is nobody hiring us to do a bossing seminar? Because this is good <laughs> stuff. The four it of is. us. It is. We've got material. We can't title yeah. this episode, the Tishi bossing seminar. Or else <laughs> Why not? Come on. They all likely be like hiring in the near future. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, this brings us to the question of the week, which of course is what is your tip for being a boss? Maybe you haven't been a boss, but you've definitely had a boss unless you are either independently wealthy or have just been self-employed for your entire life, which congratulations, but you must have um, a tip or a trick for somebody to make them a good boss. Please let us know. We will ask on the Facebook group. Very interested to hear people's answers. Same. All right. I'm going to take us in to Tishi Recommends. Um, quickly, I watched Do Revenge, which, because of course I did, it's the Netflix like teen uh, movie that is on. <laughs> and I really enjoyed it. It was well, I knew I wasn't going to let Bridget watch it, but I was like, well, you know, let me just see. No, I'm not. She can't not watch this. It is. It's not so much dirty. It's just they use the C word like a fair amount as sort of, again, slang, like, you know, these don't C word. A- yes. Or like, look at those C words over there. I mean, there's just a lot of it's. I thought it was going to be a little more teen in the not like clueless, but you know, mean girls ish. And it is kind of but almost more Heather's and that it's like a dark, it's like sort of more satire and darker and like in a world that it's not anywhere near a world that you live in. But the thing that I find most interesting is, um, I don't watch stranger things unlike my children, but, um, Maya Hawk is the co-star on it. And look, she's a good actress. I mean, she's nepotism, but she's a, a good actress. And looking at her face is just like, the perfect blending of Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman's face. It's so bizarre because they both, well, especially Uma Thurman has such a distinct look to her. Um, anyway, I just kind of like to watch her because she's just a unique looking person, but I enjoyed it. It's fun and it has a twist that I dumbly wasn't expecting, but I enjoyed that part. Hmm. So, yeah. All right. Uh, Jeremy. Oh yes, I have two. I have two uh, things. First of all, I put some books on here that are like books, bo- bookses, uh, <laughs> that have like significantly kind of impacted my worldview and how I think about um, like being a manager. Um, 
one is called Radical Candor, which it sounds so stupid and cheesy, uh, and it kind of is, but the author is a woman, if that helps. <laughs> not as not as tech dude bro as it sounds. Women um, can be weird and <laughs> cheesy, I too. know, but like I would say, statistically speaking, it's probably a lot less likely <laughs> they will. But anyway, uh, and it talks a lot about like exactly what it sounds like just the importance of open and honest direct communication uh in the workplace technically wrong is another book and this one is um it's all about basically how all of the platforms and services and things that we use facebook and amazon and everything else were all built by white men and how like how many blind spots were created by that and exist because of that and how it like negatively impacts people that aren't white men. Uh, and I'm sure that people that aren't white men already know this, but, um, it was very eye opening for me and has kind of impacted how I, how I think about systems and, um, processes that I'm like trying to build to make sure that I'm thinking more holistically about how, who they might impact or bringing in people to make sure that, there's lots of voices kind of contributing to the building of new things. Um, Interesting. Cool. And then the last one and comrade Dave, I'm feeling so (laughs) close to you right now. Uh, (laughs) This will be one that you really like. It's called bullshit jobs. And it it basically just talks about the uh, waste of humanity. That is, you know, 90% of the jobs that we have (laughs) and how they're completely unnecessary. Um, it Don't with tell just me my like, spreadsheets aren't worth anything. <laughs> They're beautiful. <laughs> no, I never said that. <laughs> um, so those books, I would highly recommend them. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to recommend was uh, Bravo's critically acclaimed reality TV sero- series, Below Deck. Um, <laughs> so there are... I already are, told uh, you, we can do an episode. I want to give people have to. a chance to dip their toe in here, as it were. Um, and I will say it can feel overwhelming because there's the original Below Deck and there's at least three spinoffs. So many spinoffs. So, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're trying to figure out what to watch, if you think you're going to be a completionist, if you're like all in from the beginning, start with Below Deck season one and just go. If you just want to get an idea of what the show is about. Uh, The chief stew on season one. Oh, she's (laughs) such a hot mess. I love her. I I would say... I would go straight say, to Mediterranean, right? Go to, yes, go to Mediterranean, but start with season two. Like, I don't know if season one was a fluke or whatever. The captain is like this weird dude with like painted on eyebrows. Like, it's not a good, it's not a good vibe. <laughs> start with season two of Mediterranean, kind of dip your toe in the water. It's, uh, it's great. Um, I was actually, so I, I restarted Succession and I'm finally like into it, into it. Um, and I was at the end of season two today and they're like on a yacht, like their personal yacht or whatever. So it's not like a below deck situation, but I was thinking about all the like, all the people helping them and how scared they must be and like how they have to be up like 24 hours a day and how much it sucks to work yeah. on a boat. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Unsurprisingly, it made me want to work on a boat. <laughs> like sh- short bursts of chaos and having to stay up all night is like that's, that's my wheelhouse your... <laughs> totally literally my wheelhouse yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, you'd be great yeah you can get involved with this very long episode of the show that's is a everything. surprisingly long episode i'm, sorry. I'm not surprised no, no, i'm sorry no. i talk no. a lot I'm no we all do 
thisshowhaseverything.com. You can find the Facebook group by searching for This Show Has Everything. I should bail on the Twitter account. <laughs> I, at I didn't write show. that. I did not write that. I, yeah, it's in your column, but I, I know did. you didn't write it. It was um, me. Yeah, I love well, Twitter. You know. I use it all the time. <laughs> she tweets all the different ways. Uh, email us at tshishow at gmail.com. That's also where you can send us your voice memo uh, to air on the show. You can fax us at 617-354-8513. You can find us at AOL keyword tshi. <laughs> still there. I love it. <laughs> With that, uh, that was everything about being a boss. Didn't even scratch the surface. We never do. <laughs> no, I know. We just, we just open the topic. advertise that you are usually early in yeah. some contexts. <laughs> Especially because I'm not. You last the whole time. Hey. Oh, you're talking about sex stuff. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I'm good at it, sex. <laughs> I do the sex good. <laughs> <laughs>